Hey everyone, welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. Just wanted to let you all know that the fourth annual fundraising jam date has been announced. It is on July 29th at the Trumbull Track in Trumbull, Connecticut. This year's beneficiary is the family of Kevin Robinson. It was such a great time last year when we did it for Scotty Kramer. In fact, such a great time that Scotty Kramer is helping me with it this year, along with his YouTube channel crew. So we're going to have a great time. Definitely want that on your calendar. July 29th from 10 till 5. I also wanted to thank you all for your support of the podcast and your positive feedback on last week's interview with Robbie Morales. The feedback has been amazing and really honestly just humbling. So I really appreciate it. It definitely fuels me to just give you the best possible experience I can with these face-to-face interviews. So enjoy this week's interview with John Paul Rogers. After this, I will start to roll into interviews from the wheel mill at the Welcome Jam and the Uncovered Contest. Some really good ones in there. So look forward to those. And as always, thank you for your support. Welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. I am here with JPR, John Paul Rogers. This is amazing to me because John Paul's got humongous history in this sport. He's accomplished so much. Thank you, John Paul. Welcome to Astatula, Florida. Redneck capital of the world? Of Lake County, Florida, at least. It's, <laughs> it's a different world. I had a bunch of people <clears throat> hitting me up within the past couple months. Oh, I'm going to be in Florida for Swamp Fest. See you soon. I was like, no, you are not going to be in Orlando. You're going to be in Astatula, Florida. That is a totally different world. It's uh, This is old school Florida, free for all, redneck, lawless, yeah. you know, just party in a field type stuff with motorcycles, swamp buggies, and we're, at, we're adding BMX to the mix. <laughs> which is pretty cool. I, I went up to find the cleanest Portage on I could this morning, and which was all the way at the front gate. So I was talking to the girl that was that was giving out the wristbands because I hadn't gotten mine yet. I had paid. I just hadn't gotten my actual wristband. And I said, so, uh, you know, how's it been? She's like, this is the most chill group of people we've ever had here. And I'm like, what? How could this be the most chill group of people? And that, she's, that, like, yeah. she's like, I don't think you understand what normally comes through here. She's like, you guys are easy. Yeah. You know? So this is, I live 15 minutes from here, so in, in Lake County. And yeah, this, it's uh, the locals in Lake County that come to use the mud pit and the motocross track or just basically Central Florida in general are make BMXers look like relatively normal, well-meaning and well-behaving people. Right. Which is pretty pretty frightening. Right. Even that just shows you how fucked up people in Astatula, <laughs> Florida are. I, I was over with the Hallahans last night just hanging out and there was fireworks shooting over their tent. <laughs> Yeah. Until, you know, until midnight or so. I don't know what it was, but... Yeah, the, the good thing about this weekend is going to be, I'm hoping, as we're podcasting... There'll, there'll be a lot of that. Don't worry about it. Motocross bikes passing by as we overlook the uh, sippy hole here at Central Florida Motorsports Park. Uh, I'm hoping, and I'm almost positive, that there's going to be a lot of locals out here. Hopefully there's like 50 trucks poking around in the mud pit it gets wild really yeah this morning i saw a couple bmx dudes in like their 
Toyota Tacoma with a bike rack on the back ripping through the mud hole. <laughs> Probably a bad idea. I've seen a couple if rental... That's, if that's a truck, you need to drive home. This is old school VMX to me because I've seen a lot of rental cars go through it too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Back in the day, <laughs> rental cars used to get bashed. Oh, my we, God. We, we didn't have money for rental cars. We were in shitty Volkswagen yeah. vans, but the... You know, the Trickstar guys were all in their town cars. Oh, right. And they used to just destroy them. They would dr- there were stories of, like, they destroyed, out they just include that in whoever sure. 80s BMX pro you can think of. Right. In 90s pros. Right. <clears throat> would just bash these cars up so bad that they'd be like, couldn't even take them back. They would just put something on the gas pedal, put it in drive, and just roll them into ponds. You know, you're at, you're at some race in the some middle of nowhere. Just roll them in there, hop in somebody else's rental car. Uh, it got stolen. These had to have been uh, the guys with the firm. <clears throat> yeah. It had to have been the GT, the Robinson. Some of those guys. And the Haro. Yeah. Whoever, like, who, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Haro, too. I can't remember any specific names. I don't want to just not start naming pros that it's right. didn't We're... necessarily dump beat-up rental cars and ponds. I don't want to incriminate <laughs> anybody. I mean, like, what are you talking We're, about? We're past the statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. And we're in rebel country, so even if you said it, it's you know it's kind of like Vegas. It's not going to leave here, except for the couple thousand that may listen to this. So anyway, you've got you've got an amazing history, and uh, I, as I told you before, I listened to Dale Holmes' podcast with you, and, and you just had really really good insight, really good stories, good opinions, and. Uh, I just want to dig into that because we have different audiences and, and different um, you know, different people listen to mine than his, some of the same. But some of the things that you talked about there were just were just amazing. We'll get into some of those later, but why don't we start with um, with kind of your first bounce from Florida out to California. How did that how did that come up? Uh, the first time after I graduated high school uh, and I'll start the story with Ronnie Bonner was a year behind me. We didn't go to the same high school. But anyways, I graduated um, and then started going to college. And Ronnie and I started going to college, uh, but Ronnie was still in high school. And I, I dropped out of college after a few few weeks. And then, uh, like, or actually I made it almost to the end. And then I went to Christmas Classic saw Dave and Alan and Chris and all those guys were there and Dave and Alan were driving out to Huntington Beach and they're like come out with us and I was like oh I'm kind of supposed to be in school and I just I don't have anything on me they won't like pop in with us and go out right so I went back to Florida I was like eh, I'm definitely not even going to attempt to go to school next semester um so I went out to Cal I drove out to California uh did that for went first the Huntington Beach house uh, rented a house out there and then uh, I was out there for a little bit uh, and then just I had some money saved up but we started to work dumb jobs or whatever but we were riding having a good time and then up at the POW house and the POW house kind of at first was good and then it just started getting you know shitty those unmade, unmotivated dudes and I was like so I basically, I was like, man, I got nothing going on out here. And I wasn't, I had no delusions of being a BMX professional by any means. Is that when more of the East guy, East Coast guys came out? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Bethlehem guys and but, all them. You know, Which house not was to that? talk bad on the Bethlehem guys, but when they started to move out and starting to move in the POW house, like Sal and those guys, they were literally roaches. Yeah. And I didn't want to live a roach lifestyle. 
So Jay Because I mean, I'm four or five years older than those guys. Sure. So we're talking. They're 18 and I'm like 22. Sure. So 21, 22. So I moved back to Florida to go to school. And when I did that, Ronnie had already graduated high school. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's killing me. That's all right. Take your time. So anyways, oh. so Ronnie's got his first warehouse. And yeah. I was my, literally, unfortunately, my college was out in that area. And this was so, UGP days for him. UGP. First UGP warehouse. I'm talking like uh, 1989. Sure. I would go to the warehouse before school and then after school. And then I just started just going to the warehouse and skipping school <laughs> and just hanging out there. So I ended up dropping out of school again. I, I, the time frames are kind of difficult. Maybe it was the first time mm-hmm. that when I got out of high school, I was mean I was gonna buy into UGP. Like we were become, gonna become partners. This is like right at the very beginning. <clears throat> Still late. 80s. And I was gonna take my little bit of college money, yeah. buy into UGP. Anyways, I mean we had contracts and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I mean it was like, you know, Ronnie was already like looking long-term and everything. And I was like, you know, I was like, I really like living in California. I don't think, cause that was, that was making a commitment to stay in Florida. Right. So I ended up not doing it. That was the first time around. Ended up not doing it, went to California, came back to Florida. was like, man, I, that's not working. So I was going to school. Then Ronnie had opened his warehouse. So I ended up dropping out of school. And we actually started a little distributor. Yeah. And we were distributing UGP and s and stuff. So we we're kind of ahead of the curve. Sure. So we should, if we would have treated it as a distributor with UGP underneath it and all these brands, like everyone does now, but we kept them separate. So you, we were buying UGP stuff and blah, blah. Anyways, the way it worked out was like, we're just taking all the profit out of UGP and putting into this goofy, you know, nomad distribution. But we actually did that. We actually generated some money. And that's what, I mean, we were only in business like three or four months, but we were generating money, but that was supposed to be UGP's money. We didn't, just didn't structure it right because sure. we were 19 years old. We, just, we, right. we had no idea what was going on. So anyways, it was basically Ronnie's dad. He's like, this is, the way we've set this up isn't going to work. We need to do something different. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm, I'm just going to move back to California. Let's just dissolve this. So that's why I moved back to California because Chris, uh, Chris was getting his first warehouse. So I just moved, moved basically went and got a job at S&M. Right. And had something to do in California, like not just to ride around and be some pretend BMX pro. Yeah, right. I actually had a job out there, so that that's kind of was my second run at California, and I, I stayed there out of Florida from then on for 25 years. In 25 years you were in Cali? No, I was only in Cali 10 years. Then I was in Colorado three or four. Then I was in, back in California oh. for two or three. Then I was in Pennsylvania for three or four then upstate new york for yeah. three or four then texas for a few years like all over the yeah and we'll get into other that because for, each yeah. each year each chunk of time of that is a different story with a different possibly different manufacturer and all all messy and it, i can't even remember the timelines of i got of I anything got, when i did that bf it documentary yes i was completely off by a year or two like with what i thought was happening which was kind of consequential to the timeline of when when you know the ABA grants and I had off by years so like after like I was kept getting so confused well, like, I mean, we're talking like, almost Stu, 30 Stu, years ago and Stu edited it and made like made it look like I was on the right timeline but it's hard to piece all this stuff together and I, all of us we, we've been telling the same stories a hundred right. times for 30 years and you start right. to mix every story together you start to mix each other stories together like 
I'll tell stories that I think are me and they're probably Ronnie or Chris. I, it wasn't even me. Right. Or we just mix all these stories together. But the, I, somewhere in all this idiocy, there, there's some truth to what, what we can remember, I guess. Well, it's certainly not intentionally, you know, you, you know mixing things. No, I no, know we're not that. trying just, to lie or embellish. No, no. It's just, it's just, it's it's just such just, a it's, hodgepodge of bullshit. Yeah, it's so, and, all, and it all overlaps with so many of these trips we've taken that just yeah. blend together and you, you literally start telling right. other people stories like they're your own and you mix your own stories together. But really, if you... Well, they don't even make sense. And, but. You, and you've got date-wise, you've got a pretty complicated history because I'm you, one of the, I'm one of the few people that have worked for more than one brand. Right. I mean, I I'm the only person on the planet who has worked for SM, Schwinn, FBM, and you know Sparkies. Right. That's a pretty. That's a, very, a heavy group. Nobody, you either work for SM, you work for FBM, you work for Sparkies, or you work for the corporate companies. So I'm one of the fem- one of the few people who's worked, you know, big companies, tiny companies, medium companies, all you know. I you was know, going to say that's a pretty diverse group of manufacturers. All competitive. They're all you know. FBM is a newer. Crandall always it gets probably offended when I compare S- FBM to SM like that closely because it's own, it's its own thing. It's yeah, own, the, the, obviously, but they're different. You know, it's it's different like, philosophies. Yeah, you know. but it's kind of the same thing. So to work for S and M for a million years and in the early days, and then work for FBM, it's like there probably aren't many people who would jump from S and M. You you know yeah. what I mean? They'd be like, I'm not going to work for FBM. I'm an S and M guy or whatever. Sure. But I've been able to be a little more like fluid with that. Yeah. Because I, I don't I don't take I don't take anything personally mm-hmm. with the brands, and sometimes it, it takes. Well, usually, not with SM because I was there in the early days, but when I started working for FBM. It took a while to get to get in the groove of FBM. Uh, because of the style of business, because be, of the because way that they not, go to I'm market. Not a, I'm not an, I wasn't an FBM like uh, kid. You know, I didn't grow up on FBM. I wasn't. It, I, I obviously liked what they were doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I guess my I don't know what exactly my point is like the, anybody that would go work for FBM was already like fuck I'm gonna go work for FBM and they would be knew they didn't have any preconceived notions or whatever and they would just fall inside it's not that I bring baggage but when you come from some other brands it takes a little bit to assimilate uh, to what they're doing and just kind of uh, be able to take what Crandall wants to do and get and not put my own personal stuff into from whatever you learn I, 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 it takes a second to or, to morph into FBM and then going from FBM to Sparky's it's a totally different mindset and ethos you're in BMX and you're doing graphic design and product but it's I guess to remove my personal yeah touch to things right you know not entirely but to like you just kind of have to absorb what Ronnie wants to do what Steve wants to do Chris was always easy right to do because when Chris would be shorthanded or he needed like just things were getting out of control he could call me after not working together for five, ten years and be like, oh, I need somebody to be kind of a brand manager for six months or a year. And I'm like, all right. And it's just easy to make S&M mad. So well, I guess my point is it took six months to get in, to get Steve style and what stuff that he would be stoked on that I was doing for him. Plus, you in the I mean? middle of all that, and I hear exactly what you're saying, but in the middle of all that, to complicate things even, even more when you're trying to go from manufacturer or let's say job to job, you've got Schwinn. Which is a monster, so kind of assimilating, like you're saying, each company must have been it's really difficult world. when you throw Schwinn in the middle of it because well, that was corporate. Yeah, well, right? Schwinn was was easier because I was. Uh, oh, was it? It was so it was so structured. 
it was so structured, and I had dipshits telling me, uh, I would, they would do just cornball shit. It's like, uh, this is, I'd say, this is awful. And I would sugarcoat, this is awful. And, you know, the marketing VP or whatever would be like, a dude with a college degree, marketing degree from Arizona State would be like, oh, you're too close to the sport. And this is, what, this is when I was 25 years old. I was literally still riding a BMX bike right. daily. Uh, you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, no, you're a kook. Like, <laughs> a, a three-inch curved down tube is stupid. Stupid. It made sense five years ago for Jay Miron. Even Jay is saying, this is stupid. And you're telling me and Jay Miron that we're too close to it. And it's like, no, you're, you're, but it's Schwinn proprietary look. Like, oh, it's awful. So anyways, so I was able to just, whatever, just focus on stuff that I thought was cool. And I mean, 75% of the stuff looking back, I was like, ugh, it was right. really awful. In the time it did, it wasn't as bad as it looks now. But I, I just, with that stuff, it's not my company. They're right. not my friends. I treat it as a corporate corporate job. It just, I did the Schwinn thing because it was good money, good opportunity. And if, when I first got in there, the, I loved the people I work with. Mm-hmm. Pippin, uh, you know, my immediate bosses, Jeff, Shape, Jeff, the, oh, Jeff Schaefer and Pat Schrader. So that was cool. It was really cool for the first two or three years. And then it got just horseshit. And then I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to get a paycheck, right. go to some events, make sure the guys have what they need negotiate contracts and there was a whole staff of a lot of non-bmx people that were doing sure. the day-to-day stuff that i at the end of two or three years like whatever i don't yeah. care what how long was what, the schwinn deal like five or six years which is amazing because but, it, but so that yeah. you know when you're doing you know because i did a lot of like really bottom level graphic design like just logo placements on packages mm-hmm. i mean i could do somewhat complicated stuff towards the end like i could, I could draw bike parts and illustrator or whatever buddy mm-hmm. but uh it's when when it's with especially with Sparky's, it's it's really Ronnie's really focused, and you get you know bullet point sheets of how how he wants things, and it's just in real uh, super organized. Yeah, so the interpretation's pretty easy. Yeah. And then with Crandall, I did a lot of stuff that I would. I guess my goal was whenever I did stuff mm-hmm. for FBM, I wanted people to not even know that I did it, that it was as close to Steve's style or something that. It wouldn't stick out as, as something like this. Doesn't even look like something Crandall would do. I but I do you. did do a lot of stuff that I know that I know he didn't like. It was some like some of it was on purpose. Yeah. I know he wasn't in the like bringing back fat bald men. Right. So anything that says fat bald men from like 2007 to 2010 was all me, and I, he didn't like any of it. Yeah, like, I don't think so. You wanted to drop that from it completely. Yeah, but so I tried to push as much. But we did some really good stuff to, from Which, the, the few years I was at FBM. And back to that, going to FBM, yeah, getting in with their gig, and I was hired specifically to do completes. So um, you're already people, you know, you get hired. And FBM people are like, oh, they hired him. They're probably like, that guy sucks. Why would they hire that guy? Like he was the Schwinn team manager, and it's like, oh, we hired him to do completes. And they're like, FBM is going to do completes in Taiwan, so it's already strike two. This guy sucks. Like, what is FBM doing? But when you're on the inside, it's like. Uh, Hey, I, it wasn't I, corporate. It wasn't cool. And if it, it was the, the completes were were really successful, and like we bought tough. one, I yeah. bought one for my son. It exactly, was a, it was a guilty, and it was it was perfect timing. But well, it actually wasn't perfect timing. We missed the boat by like a year or two. Right. But we but sold it, we sold we sold a, a, a pretty decent amount of bikes. Mm-hmm. I think the first year we sold uh, twenty five hundred bikes, three thousand bikes, which is good for FBMs. If you're selling five thousand bikes, you're yes. doing you're doing pretty good for a five man company. Sure. Um, and I, the, like the biggest contribution the whole time, the three years I was at FBM, is 
by the second year of the completes, we had gotten, we, you know, they had condemned the building we were in, so we had to abandon that in like two days. Was that Move the it. fire deal? That, that, that was after that. Okay. This was where they ended up after the fire in the mm -hmm. bottom of ECT, an abandoned building. Okay. Um, so then we got evicted from there because they condemned the building and like literally herbals had two days to find a place we oh. moved not very far but in another building that wasn't set up to run a business on it anyways right. so after so we were in there and we were able to basically generate enough money to install like a twenty thousand dollar central heating system in there so that like literally does my the most the biggest thing that i'm psyched on is like generating enough money to like actually legitimately help the the company and like a comfort area like elevated like holy shit we have fucking heat right and walls and like right. good electricity and shit like that yeah things but, that if you're yeah. gonna work all year in ithaca you better well have it you know yeah if you're gonna be stuck living in, in binghamton you, you gotta show up to work and it's okay. got it's gotta have some heat yeah that first building man showing up there water truck we well, yeah, water gotta keep the dust down in florida oh man so, uh, yeah, that was Binghamton. That was before Ithaca, yeah. right? I always forget there was... No, there was... this is after. Ithaca was when they burnt down, and they okay. ended up in Binghamton at ECT, and that's when I worked there. The worst. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I was awful working there. Wow. We're kind of bouncing around. On no, 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 sense, it's all but... it's all good. The, the one thing I want to go back to is a little bit of the S&M, because that's what really established you as far as all of us were concerned, because that's when we first saw you. Oh, yeah. You were, you were riding. You were part of that that crew that was touring in the, probably the worst conditions possible just barely sneaking by just selling yeah. shirts whether it be pow shirts or whatever it was just a little bit about that would be would be nice that so that would be like basically late 80s early 90s bmx i, I think i've i might have said this on dale's podcast i don't remember but bmx wasn't really as dead as as it's you know, we remember, oh, it was dead, it's dead. Media died and was the deadest part. There were still, the still big boys were selling a bunch of stuff. I mean, there was a massive purge. I mean, it shrank incredibly, but there were still Redline, SBS, Right Way, so GT, all Diamondback. I mean, they, they were Mongoose. They, they didn't disappear. I mean, they were still around, still selling hundreds of thousands of bikes. There were no small companies and there was no media. So Chris was right there, basically moving to Southern California when there's almost no media and there's no sponsored riders like that are that the magazines have to put in it's like when those guys when the wizard guys when S spike or lure or whatever would call hey we need we have a go t-shirt and we need to shoot just one photo there's there's literally there's a, almost nobody they can call yeah I'm like oh okay I'll, I'll do it so literally that's it was by the fact that there's nobody else around that's the only literally the only way I got in magazines was just right place the right time i think you had said something about that they called didn't you, didn't they call and you answered the phone yeah it was that someone else that, I, I may be that, mixing that story that was that was the the beat the the wild man with yes, the mtv uh, yeah that's right okay he, he just intercepted the mtv sports you guys call. were living together yeah. at the time though the the uh, the foster brothers mm -hmm. and todd in the wild man todd lines like right. he fucking weaseling on the foster brothers yeah. segment <laughs> That was a pretty funny story. Yeah, absurd. That was that was great. But you were in that was in the POW house, right? That so, no, that was in a different house. There's so many houses. Really, it's the, more the, than the BF BF, the Wild Man, mm -hmm. 
I want to say Luan, but I have a hard time believing they would tolerate living with Luan at that, <laughs> when they were at that age. Right. You know, mid-20s or whatever right. it was. Um, and maybe Darren Mitchell. Anyways, they had a, a little yeah. apartment, and, and that's, you know, ta- the wild man would make chore list. Dude, it was like the wild man was giving Brian chore list, tra- like weekly chore. And Brian's like, I'm, f- I'm 23 years old. Like, right. you're not my dad. It's crazy. <laughs> The Wild Man. I've never. Uh, I don't. I never lived with Wild Man. No. Okay. Uh-uh. That was probably when you went back to Florida. Was when somehow. The, when it's 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 impossible to piece it all together. Yeah, I lived yeah, in so yeah. many. I have lived. I finally bought a house for the first time. Fifteen minutes from here. Like for the first time. At Forty-five years old. I I can't even. I can't. I can't even remember. Hardly any of the places I've lived I've probably lived in 25 or 30 apartments and houses in like however many states really I don't remember I have roommates when I first started getting on Facebook hitting me up and hey how's it going long time this time I'm like, who? I don't even know who this person is right. it would take me like six months to piece it out oh my god this person was my roommate for a year yeah. I don't even can even barely vaguely remember this person yeah. <laughs> That's, but even know. when I first moved up to Huntington man me and Moeller so the one of the apart, like uh, when Chris first got the second time I moved out and was working at S and M, Chris was living on Alabama Street in his roachy little house, and I went out there in Big Island, was sleeping on the couch. I don't even think I was out there much. He'd been living and running S and M out of this for five or six years, and had just gotten the warehouse like a month before. Yeah. And within two weeks, we got evicted. We got crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were young. This is you know. 21 years old. So we'd, uh, I, that's when I first started drinking. So we were drinking St. Ides. Uh, oh, just, I remember one night we were drinking St. Ides and Mike Daly was going through a tough point. I, I already told this one in, in Dale's podcast. That's definitely okay. when we got kicked out of Alabama Street. Yeah. And then ended up in the S&M warehouse. So we were living in the warehouse and then we got an apartment uh, with this guy that had a bike shop. Uh that Chris was sponsored by when he was a kid or some shit. Anyways, the guy was had money and old enough to sign a lease and all that stuff. Right. We never even moved. I never even moved in. We, we went up there. We signed all the lease paperwork. And then uh, something happened with this. This guy was batshit crazy. Yeah. Something happened and we, he, we got some argument. And he this dude kicked me out before I, I never even moved in. And then he kicked Chris out after a month. Oh, so shit like that, I rented an apartment I, that I never even moved into. I couldn't even tell you where it was, but yeah. there were places like that. Like, there's a couple of mental Jimmy's apartments I lived in with Magoo, and then yeah, it's wild. I can't even. Well, the Magoo thing that I'm glad you brought up Magoo because mental Jimmy's you bought from Magoo, right? Yes. Is that how that worked out? Mm-hmm. And so you were actually working at S and M or running mental Jimmy's out of the S and M warehouse. Is that right, or am I wrong Close. on that one? Magoo, Magoo got fired from Mongoose for putting the transvestite on the cover. And this is like right before his 30th birthday. So he had a, a, a emotional breakdown on his 30th birthday. Right. Then he started uh, Mental Jimmy's and uh, started that. And it was like, why did I do this? And he had just, he, I think I think he started rev- his little revolution copywriting marketing thing at the same time. Okay. And so he was doing Mental Jimmy's and that out of, out of an apartment for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then when Chris got the warehouse... Magoo was splitting rent with him and moved into the warehouse and was doing that. Um, so I was working for SM. Then Magoo's like, I don't need this warehouse, Chris. You're filling it up within six months. 
so he's like, you can take over at Chris. Yeah, no problem. So then we went and, and started doing mental Jimmy's back out of an apartment again because his ad agency was picking up. He's actually making money doing that. He's right. like, do you want to work for mental Jimmy's? Because Paul Green, Paul Green, I, I, I keep telling this. I'm positive I've told the same exact story 14,000 times. <laughs> um, right. So Paul Green came to work at SM and I went to work to, for mental Jimmy's. And then that's, uh, we were there for, um, a little bit, maybe six months, a year. And then me, Kim, and Magoo got a house. And when we moved into the house, I bought Mental Jimmy's. And that was Kim Boyle, right? Yeah, I bought it from Magoo, and it was me, Kim, and Magoo, which I, I'll call the Mental Jimmy's house. Right. Magoo, his ad agency was starting to roll, and he was doing a lot of copywriting, so he was working out of a place called NBC Advertising, which was Bob Morales, photographer Simon Cudby, and Bill or Bill really? Bryant, which is uh, Magoo's current uh, partner in Biltwell. So yeah. anyways, that was ad agency. So I was doing Mental Jimmy's and I was working at that ad, ad agency part-time doing photo shoots or doing Cudby's uh, photo assisting. Mm -hmm. Then at that same time, so uh, basically I was doing Mental Jimmy's the ad agency. Then Kim was doing Vance snowboard stuff. Uh, and then right after that, he got hired at Airwalk that's what and I then, remember. So I was then, so then he hired me to be his event helper, basically to fly with him and set up tents. Mm -hmm. So I had three jobs. I had mental Jimmy's, the ad agency, and Airwalk. Um, I did not know then, that. Then, then I got the Schwinn job. So I stopped doing the Airwalk stuff, but I was still doing. So I was doing the ad agency, mental Jimmy's, and Schwinn all at the same time. And then when I went full-time for Schwinn after like a year and a half or whatever it was I just I just stopped doing mental Jimmy's I'm an idiot I should have sold it it was probably looking back I know play I know how sold play for like fifty thousand dollars or seventy five thousand dollars and they were doing about the same amount of money that I was um, I mean I don't think he got paid right right the full fifty or seventy five thousand sure. dollars but I could have I could have sold it for something but I just stopped doing it yeah and it was Chris Bennett and Marvin you know ten years later were like we wanted to buy mental Jimmy's and I yeah. was like, I never even thought about that. They're like, they're like, yeah, what would it, what would it cost? I said, I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. They're like, we would have paid for that. I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. What? Uh, just backtrack one second. What was? Where did the name Mental Jimmy's, Jimmy's come from? Mental Jimmy's. Because we're all going to associate with Jimmy Levan unless no. you tell me otherwise. But oh, absolutely otherwise. Yeah. Mental Jimmy's was. Because he was on SM was at that kid. point, right? Yeah. Jimmy was. No, no. This I don't think so. Yeah. I don't really remember. He maybe was. Yeah, he was. I'm just giving was, myself so, an excuse for why I could think it was called that. <laughs> That's perfect. Right. No, it was based on because Magoo's from Florida, so it was a kid in Magoo's neighborhood growing up that was a, a, kind of off a little bit, um, just kind of goofy, and he always got the newest parts and just put them on. Didn't like them. So they would buy, you know, he'd buy $50 handlebars and then sell them for $5. So, and they, his, his nickname was Mental Jimmy. So that's where the name, no the Mental way. Jimmy's is named off some goofy kid from Magoo's <laughs> neighborhood in the 70s. That's what I love about Magoo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In the artwork, yeah. the head and yeah. all the spinal top, spinal tap artwork and all. We did a bunch of stickers. Yeah. Uh, Sherry Shue, who is his partner in Biltwell and I mean this is in the 90s that's who we were buying I was buying the stickers from yeah uh, and Jeff Tremaine did all the, the artwork oh, okay. on those and then one of the so Mental Jimmy's did pretty good I mean as I was 
and making money doing it because we I had uh, terms. Magoo had set up terms with Rightway, SPS, and Tip. Okay. So I had all the you know three big distributors and all the obviously SM right there that I did all will call stuff with. Sure. So everything I took uh, orders for on Saturday, if I didn't, it, I would ship them the next day. Right. I might ship the, like ship the wrong order, right. or the wrong the, stuff like that. But we were, <laughs> we were attempting to ship the stuff, sure. maybe the wrong address. Things are it, looking back, it was so crazy. You're just getting a phone call from some person anywhere in the world yeah. that might be looking at a magazine a year old yeah. and they're on the phone they're giving you your credit card and like you're just lit where what is your address you're just writing it down like right. like <laughs> it's so much could go wrong i would like to think that i got most of it right but i mean right when i, I like i said i had these all these other jobs so i had like five dudes i could re- rely on right you know lawan sal griffin Duder Chad, Hippie Sean, and yeah. like a few other dudes, and I would pay them like five or six bucks an hour yeah. to sit at my house from, you know, 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Right. And they just watch TV and play video games right. and smoke weed right. on, on our couch at our right. house, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I would, I would imagine, I mean, could you imagine talking to Luan on the phone trying to place an order? No. There's no way anything no. that he that he took an order for or packed was <laughs> even remotely right. Like, and kids used oh, to Jenga. call. Like Daryl Naw is a mental Jimmy's customer from when he was a kid. All these dudes, sure. they're like you know, 10, 15 years younger than me. So when I'm like in my early twenties, twenty five, and up to like twenty five, you know, they were like Daryl and all those guys are like twelve and thirteen year old kids. You right. know, calling up just asking dumbest questions you know and i talked to him on the phone i'm bored out of my fucking mind yeah. you know i talked to him half hour 45 minutes just just start reading out of magazines just start playing the music just yeah. whatever and this kid's just like he 12 years old you got nothing else to do either and then their parents would call what is this phone number there's a you know like this crazy long distance call like right. 45 dollar phone calls oh man there was no toll free back then no and just tra- yeah, it was just it was it was wild. But mental Jimmy's was it was a legit thing. It was I mean, we ran legitimate ads and like we were a legitimate choice. You know, Dan's wasn't Dan's was the biggest already, but they weren't like as dominant as they they were at one point. Like right, there was a ride survey, and I think it was like Dan's, Trend, Albies, and then like Mental Jimmy's. Wow. As far as as you know, obviously it was a reader survey. It wasn't based on sales, but right. Like we we're, it was like, we shipped orders and that like, like made like it was a legit thing. It was the Hank and Frank of the nineties. <laughs> yeah, Hank and Frank's still around. It's still really? A, yeah, it's still an existing shop. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they never they never went away. Huh? Yeah. Kind of like in NorCal. Eagles and. Is it, yeah, exactly. They, yeah. they obviously don't have a strong BMX team anymore, but they're still sure. That shop's probably been in business 40, 50 years. The Meltons. Yeah. Yep. Never forget those uniforms. But um, so you know what's cool is it. It seems like, well, as things usually work with jobs, uh, you know, you meet one person and they they turn you on to another. It sounds like it's like the six degrees of Magoo with like everything you've done almost. Oh yeah. Almost. I don't want to. You know, you tell me. But it seems like well, uh, Magoo the, got you involved in Schwinn. In, in the Schwinn thing, yeah, that for sure. I mean, the the um, uh, as well you know, the as first job was was. was kind of UGP and Ronnie yeah I mean that wasn't you know that was getting a taste of it but neither we were we were in Florida neither of us knew what the hell was going on yeah you know Ronnie didn't know a whole lot and I knew even less 
so Chris was the first place I worked. And Chris, even in the early days, his I think other than being, you know, the mad dog in, in, in Southern California and having just, you know, already that s- status and stature or whatever and being, you know, in close proximity to all these manufacturers, he was super, super meticulous with bookkeeping and keeping records and paying taxes and, you know, he's basically a self-taught CPA. So I learned that even, like, half of this stuff I've done has, has you know, quote-unquote spa- failed, but, you know, financially. But the, the stuff I gained and learned from all that, like, if I wouldn't, if I was, didn't know and had seen how Chris uh, was as dialed on the back end as he was, those those the magazine the shoe stuff all, all that stuff would have been like really bad failures and they wouldn't even got even as half as far as they did they would have sure. they would have been you would have never even seen them fail they wouldn't even got off the ground i got you. but like it, it's and you would have i knew i knew to the penny where we were failing like how where it was coming short because i knew how to you know which, run a run a detailed failing business, which prevented to, you from losing <laughs> go, money. Yeah, or going or losing even more money. But yeah, but when it's actually right. working, then you, then you can keep up when it, it's just the same thing. As it's shitting the bed, you got to keep up with it shitting the bed. And as it's, as right. it's getting, if it's going the right way, you got to be just as meticulous, or it just gets out of control the other mm-hmm. way. Yeah, so, and it's, it's but the the Schwinn hookup was definitely Magoo. I was yeah. I just bought Mental Jimmies, and I was making you know. I think it was, uh, I paid $2,500 for the name and I was maybe $10,000 worth of inventory. Yeah. And Magoo was like, damn, I paid him back quick. I think my payments were $450 a month. Mm-hmm. He was like, I want my money quick. And I mean, I was generating enough money to, to pay him back that money. But, well, when the when Pippin called for the Schwinn thing, you know, it's, Pippin called him, hey, uh, Bill Grad's six-month contracts up. We kind of need somebody that is also freestyle-oriented, not just racing. Right? Uh, do you know anybody that's kind of kind of can do both? And he's like, yeah, he's lives with me, sitting on my couch, and he owes me money. So the more <laughs> money he's he's already got three jobs, but he can never have enough jobs in BMX. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, I flew out there Thursday, interviewed Friday, and. You know, got the job that that pretty much right then. And that, the, that's and that's when I was doing Schwinn, Mental Jimmy's, and the ad agency. Oh so Magoo was guaranteed to get his money. I, I probably ended up paying him off early. Well, um, as much as he was a wise man and setting him up with a job that was going to get him paid back, he wouldn't have thrown you the job unless he knew what, he knew that you knew what you were doing. Yeah, exactly. So, which you know, obviously the, there, there's the, a plus to and, this. And in the the people are like, well, how did you get that job? Well, how did you? Well, fuck, I I was running a bike shop, a successful bike shop. I'd already been at S and M. Right. I had already. That's you know, a, I'd already done marketing stuff, sales stuff. Yeah, that's a hell of a resume already. Writing stuff. So when one of the the pluses for them, mm-hmm. for Schwinn, was I was I was doing a mail order bike shop. I was literally already talking to, to goofy BMX kids on the phone every day, and I was going up to all the freestyle events and races mm-hmm. with Kim and Airwalk, and I was working at an ad agency, so I understood. You know the cycling part of mar- marketing, whether it's road bikes or mountain bikes. We were doing photo shoots for all that stuff. Yeah, so, so I was already experienced. I didn't just I didn't just luck into the job and learn on. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff, but 
I was already prepared for the job. I was, I couldn't imagine there were more than a couple of other guys that could have done it as good of a job as I did. No, probably only a handful of guys. You're talking that, five or six years before the Swin job that you did, UGP S and M, mental, mental jimmies, yeah. and you were also doing. Um, or was that it before Schwinn? Those three. That was it. Okay. I believe, yeah. Which it, I shouldn't say. I don't mean to make it sound like that's not much because that's a lot. So that's six years of, of pretty heavy stuff, a lot of experience. So the Schwinn deal, obviously, since I'm from that era, was hugely influential. So the part I don't really quite understand, even though I was there for it, is the Airwalk deal with the brothers, the Foster brothers transitioning that into S&M how did that whole deal work where it was Team Airwalk and then it turned into Air, Schwinn Airwalk it was uh, were you part of the first part the Airwalk part n- no so I, they were okay so they weren't already so Kim Kim was doing the vans Kim Boyle mm-hmm. living with him was right. doing the vans thing then he got the job at Airwalk right and his first thing was uh, picking up as far as race goes right. was picking up the Foster Brothers that was his idea his concept um, so he did that and you know Brian was on Hyper and what was Alan on TNT when that first started I know Alan was on TNT I can't remember Brian what Brian was, defi- was on he was definitely on Hyper okay. uh, so they they get hooked up and it was like what they were like so, so they kept I can't imagine they were bikes. getting a salary. So Kim was like, "Here's a salary. Here's travel. Here's twenty. You know, twenty-five. They're like twenty-five dollars a day food money. They're yeah. blown away. Rental cars, <laughs> hotels, and like guaranteed salary. Like and like, wow, it was nuts. And this was before Swin even. Yeah. So they did that. Um, and so then, and like I said, I was going. I was going to the races with Kim, mm-hmm. and setting up the tent and putting out the shoes. Where you know the tent with Brian and Alan, so I was already traveling with those guys to races. Then the Schwinn thing came along with so Schwinn got bought out of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. moved from Chicago. So the family it gets family finally runs it completely in the ground. They get bought by Scott Sports Group. They move from Chicago to Boulder. They hired uh, Pippin and Skip Skip Junior, yeah. Skip Hess Junior. Right. To be the head guy, and they hired some a good crew of people, and they had like a bunch, some old school dudes from Chicago, and they hired legitimate engineers and uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay, let's get our BMX thing going. What do we do? So they somehow I don't remember how, but somehow Bill Grad got his foot in the door mm-hmm. uh, to be their BMX guy, and uh, he was gung ho on he wanted to have like a, a one pro and then a full amateur team that was went for the amateur championships. And I don't think they were really that into it. So anyway, so the pros they were talking to were Pistol Pete, Terry Tanette, and and Bill's guy was Steve Veltman. For Swim. And really? they were all, you know, even at that time, Pistol Pete and Terry, it was kind of past their prime. And I think they were asking for like pretty decent amount of money. And so was Steve Veltman. And for whatever reason, none of that was really panning out. And then I don't I don't know if it was Bill, or if it was Pippin or somebody, I think it might have been Mark Pippin, said, hey, what about these Foster Brothers guys? They're already on an airwalk team. Let's Maybe we can get them on Schwinn frames. Right. So that was 
that was option another option you know c or d you yeah, know going yeah. down the line not that there was any less so that's how sure. that ended up so they got those guys in those frames for a fraction of what those other guys were making because all of their airwalk was still paying all their stuff i got you so, so it was almost like a supplemental even, but uh, uh, longer story keep rambling on no it's all good so bills after about six months uh i took over so we could start doing the freestyle stuff and those guys were still airwalk schwinn and then uh, with the amateur stuff bill got as far as pole camp and bogey so they were already on the team but oh, i didn't know bogey that well but i knew him from the orange scene in pole camp me and pole camp were you know quote unquote teammates on snm sure. so i'd obviously knew matt right and then the goal was once I got there, I was like, we need to get these dudes as Schwinn Airwalk riders, not Airwalk Schwinn, you know, Airwalk shoes where they should be on Schwinn bikes and known as Schwinn riders. Yeah. So that's that's when that transition, I pushed for that. And the guy Good. at the time, Tim Schwartz, was like, you just want these guys to, because Brian's, you know, winning, going for the championship, you want him to be associated with Schwinn. I was like, well, no shit, Tim. And he's like, I get it. He's yeah, like, right. but, but he's like, we're the ones spend all the money. I was like, well, we're going to spend twice. You keep, I was like, well, why don't you just keep spending the same money and we'll spend twice as much money and it to make them Schwinn guys. And he's like, well, whatever. And they, they were into it and Airwalk still, you know, then, the then, then Airwalk got all the amateur guys as well. So it worked out right. good for them. Because they were still known as heavily branded as airwalk dudes oh, heck yeah. even mean, after they were legitimately schwinn guys it was still always and they they're still their, always associated with airwalk and they had their own shoes the whole deal yeah. foster so that was good airwalk right? airwalk paid the did still brian and alan kept their airwalk deal separate the whole time and then we did direct deals with airwalk like airwalk would give the freestyle team and the, on top of the brian and alan thing separately they put in like Sometimes like fifty, seventy-five thousand, a hundred thousand dollars to split between the two teams. And it's with, crazy. And would that have been Airwalk, uh, Airwalk for as goofy as that company was? They, I mean, they dumped legitimate money into a lot of programs. That was just Schwinn, you know. They were right. they were sponsoring a lot of individual guys and whatever. And Schwinn freestyle at the time. So that was Jay Miron. Was that Van's time? Van Homan's time? Van. And Jay was the first guy. J- Joey Garcia, maybe. Joey was in there. Jay was the first guy when I put the word out for the freestyle stuff. Every dude on the planet it came out of the woodwork from Rick Thorne to Taj to Jay to whoever, everybody. Right. And we, nobody really knew what our goal was, but the goal was to to do, you know, try to compete with GT doing freestyle shows, bike shop shows, because they saw the value in that. So that was our goal. Um, so I knew Jay was he was he was in texas doing sprocket jockey shows and he'd obviously he'd done gt tours sprocket jockey tours so he knew how to run you know he basically wanted to run and manage a, a program it was just perfect timing so i talked to jay and i he i told him i was like what would we want to do he's like that's exactly what i want to do right now and it was right before the x games and we signed him and then he won the x games and then and right Joey did. and no jay oh i'm sorry jay yeah jay won dirt on his first event for Schwinn, and then so that well, I don't, I didn't even go to that. Well, so that's probably middle of summer. And then the Schwinn hundred-year anniversary party yeah. was that same year, ninety-five. Mm-hmm. And then Jay, within it took about, you know, he only had like three, four months before Interbike, and he got a full portable half pipe built. I mean, it was insane. We got Osado, DeGroot, some other guys to do that initial show. Then we. We're like, all right, do you guys want to? And Pat Miller, they weren't on Schwinn. They were just like, come out and do the show. Then we'll figure out, see if you want to hop on board. And that's how that 
the initial Schwinn team came out of that first Schwinn 100 year anniversary half pipe show and Jay pulled that off and they're like this dude is badass I was like you they're like you picked the right guy that's yeah. for sure and then Jay just Jay and a guy named uh, Jeff Schaefer just pinned it yeah. and just like those spike shop shows that that the freestyle that those guys division was I don't I'm, I don't know if it was profitable but it didn't cost any money and that was mm-hmm. millions of dollars right you know money there, was... there were bike shops there were you know twelve hundred dollars fifteen hundred dollars you had to buy parts you had to buy buy a certain amount of bikes or whatever yeah you know so it was like those guys got paid good money it was hard that's hard work doing those freestyle shows setting up tearing down mm-hmm. traveling it, it, you use it, it's that's it's literal hard work but right. those jay started and then obviously pove and all those dudes like to group work super hard worker ferris was hard worker osada all those guys and kimler bust their ass and like i mean we end, there ended up being like a team b team c team like like two or three right teams going around doing tons of bike shop shows right so that was all going on the same time that you were running TMing the racing side. Yeah, the race dirt jumping side. Dirt so jumping Schwinn, racing. Like that whole program was was clicking. Right. I don't think anybody was doing more than besides GT and the, the firm as it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. I, I, we were probably pretty far behind them, but I, we were way far ahead of probably I, everyone else. I, I think the attraction was with a different crowd altogether because they were obviously it was but red, resurrecting were, resurrecting the Schwinn brand is like it's cliche, but it was definitely catching lightning in a bottle like i said it was only good for me and probably the other BM dudes for the first three years right and then it was like yeah, i mean it wasn't horrible right but it just the, the first two or three years was legitimately fun and it wasn't wasn't right the, and then just they could just got i would say the higher ups and the management guys they got real cocky and thought like they were badass and it's like dude you're you're the marketing guys in the office like First of all, the Schwinn badge and brand sells itself, and the, the they thought they were like cultivating the coolness factor, you know, all the bullshit marketing terms you throw right. out. It's like, dude, you're you're just reaping the rewards of all this other shit that's going on. It's not you. So it just turned corny, uh, and they just started, it just started, you know, they just they just start stopped listening as well. Mm-hmm. Like I said about the Schwinn, these these frames are stupid. You can't you see what's happening in BMX frames are getting lighter and simpler. It wasn't it's not rocket science, right? You know, like but they, so they weren't the, the bikes weren't evolving, the promotions were getting dumber. And I I remember Jay one of the main reasons Jay bailed was uh, the higher ups. This guy I don't even care about naming names. Who gives right, right. Um, no, that's fine. They did they did some some stupid Pete company developed some crappy BMX game that was PC based. And it was a terrible game, and it was branded with all the riders. And it was branded with the riders' names, and nobody heard anything about it. And then it came out, and Jay's like, "What is this? Right. Like, where, you're giving me money for this? Like, no, we own your likeness, and blah blah blah." And Jay's like, basically, was like, "Fuck you!" Right. And they're like, "Well," so and that just Jay was like, "No, you're ripping me off." And they, that was it. Was a fucking bad move, a right. bad move on their part, and that ended it with Jay. Uh, I mean, they 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 got to the point where Jay's like, "No, this this is I'm gonna just do my own company." They were they were offering Jay, and this is secondhand information, sure. or I just don't remember this exact, but right. I think they were offering Jay. You know, he's like, "I'm starting McNeil," and it was just definite. There was no turning back from that. So they they. 
they're you know they're like oh he's crazy he's gonna fail but whatever so but they're like you know they were getting like a million dollars a year or something absurd from toyota uh i don't think that was just for freestyle but it was a lot of money so they were gonna pay jay like i I think it was like something like 15 grand a month for a chest protector and helmet whoa but i mean they were generating that's you know what's that 180,000 a year they were generating way more money than that from from Toyota tank, whatever the hell else was on the chest protector in the helmet. So they were obviously generating way more than that if they're willing to cut Jay out for that. And just like, no, I'm not doing that. Really? But anyways, that's how weird and off their rocker they were till the end. And I, I was like, when it started, when Vulture Capitalists started buying it, it started to get real weird. And I was like, this, what is happening? Right. You know, they're basically they just started on purpose, looking back, running the company into the ground. Right. You know, so it, it was very strange at that point in time. And then when whoever had bought uh, Schwinn from Scott Sports Group, or maybe it was the person after that, then bought GT, I was like, what? Is there our mortal enemy? What, what is happening here? And then with the first event we went to, I, I did talk about this in Dale's podcast, so I won't go too in-depth. But anyways, the first event where the same company owns it was in GT's backyard. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Dirt jump contest going on, and Bar Spinner Ryan's always out there chewing those guys, acting crazy. So I had, I was like, had the Bar Spinner saying, like on the on the megaphone, Schwinn owns you, Schwinn owns you to Brian Gash during the contest, and unbeknownst to me, I mean GT had 600 employees at this time, so there's like hundreds of employees out at this event having a giant barbecue. I don't know how I didn't notice it. So. Anyway, so we're, I'm heckling the GT guys literally over megaphones in public in front of half the company. And they're like, who is this shithead and what is happening here? So the, 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 the CEO <laughs> of whoever, whatever fucked up company, yeah. uh, the CEO of Schwinn at that time, yeah. he, he had just been at Tampax. It was this old crazy drunk guy, Tom something or other. You know that they hire, pay you know two, three hundred thousand dollars a year to come in and just sit around and drink and grope women while they, you know, while he turns a blind eye, while they run the company into the ground and spend a bunch of money and cut a bunch of money and right. do, figure out who is going to get the giant severance check and all that shit. Right. So anyways, that fucking drunk guy gets a call Monday. I hadn't met this guy yet. I mean, we're talking like. This guy's in for in the office for two weeks, and he gets, he's getting a call from the GT CEO. Hey, we've had an incident at the you know at the event this weekend, and your BMX guy, uh, John Paul, is out there heckling and blah blah, and this is blah, and so and I, I was I stayed in California. I was actually probably staying. I don't know if I was I was actually working. I had set up an office. In SM. I'd already given up on the job. I was like, right. fuck it. I'm moving right. back to California. They're like, you can't do that. You're a full time employee. I was like, well, then fire me. They're like, we can't fire you. And I was like, well, then I quit. They're like, you can't quit. I said, then I'm moving to California. Like, it doesn't work. I said, well, I'm mo- that's tough shit. So, I know. Anyways, I was in California living at Chris's and I had my, I had literally a legitimate Schwinn office set up in SM. So, anyways, so after all this shit goes down, you know, I'm fucking in the office on Monday about 11 o'clock. My boss calls me, what and what did you do now? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what kind of shit show did you cause out there this weekend? I'm like, I was heckling Brian Gass a little bit. Yeah. And he's, I was like, you know how I feel about this whole situation? Right. And it was Schaefer. And he's like, ah, no. He's like, I know, but you, he's like, we don't mind if you're an idiot or just 
you know, voice your opinion or a fucking fool. Right. But he's like, he's like, dude, it was in GT's backyard and they had like hundreds of employees out there. And I was like, I didn't know that. And he's like, how did you not notice? They had 14 circus tents with hundreds of people under them. I was like, I, I don't know. And I, he's like, dude, he's like the CEO, the new guy just called me. He's been getting complaints all morning long. And he's like, we had to have, he's like, we had a meeting about you. He's called the, all the head, the head marketing guys in, and we had to explain to this guy, no, that, that, this guy's nuts. You don't get and they, He's like, we explain your background. The guy's like, oh, he sounds great. And they're like, yeah, here's why we, you know. And he's like, oh, sounds great. And the guy actually, the guy actually called me, and I, I didn't, I didn't get the phone. He called me, left a message. He's like, I've heard a lot about you, blah blah. You know. He's yeah. like, we've. He basically, he's like, we've resolved the situation, but in the future, you know. Keep keep your beefs, you know, internal. Right, so, right. All right, man, whatever. And at that, I called Schaefer the next day. I was like, you know what? I was like, I don't want this job anymore. Right. I want to heckle Brian Gavin. Right. And he was like, dude, don't quit, don't quit. And I was like, fuck, all right, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, can I hire somebody to do my job? Right. And he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, you're a, what is good? <laughs> he's like, you're a piece of work. And he, I was like, yeah. I was like, I know we can afford it. I was like, I don't want, I don't, I just want to, fucking chill. Right. And he's like, he's like, fine. So we hired. I was like, I got this. I got the perfect guy, Sweet Lou. So I, I introduced him to Caparelli and all that. And he's like, he's like, where do you find these people? And I'm like, whatever. He's like, I love this guy. Right. So I basically hired Lou to take over like almost every aspect of my job except uh, you know negotiating contracts and some internal stuff that I still didn't mind doing. Maybe keeping in touch with the advertising or, or whatever but I was I was pretty much didn't even give a shit about how dumb stuff looked at that point in time right. so anyways I got lucky and never quit so the first wave of it shitting the bed I mean they ran it into the ground on purpose right. so the first wave of, of this GT Schwinn conglomeration shitting the bed like I said GT had probably 600 employees at this point in time Schwinn had 100 or 200 or whatever in their first wave of, of like hey we're just I mean, they fired like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in a week. We're like, hey, we're dropping all this. We're eliminating. I mean, they were eliminating whole departments. And luckily, my job, they're like, we're eliminating your position because we, we've got Lou and we've got everyone internally can fill in everything. And, and I was kind of pissed. I was like, <laughs> at first, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. You're fucking get your eliminating my position after I've been trying to quit for a year because I didn't understand how shit worked and I'd been there six years and like dude they're like you're getting a severance if you would have quit you would have got nothing I was like I was like severance I was like what I was like is that what is it like you get what does that mean I get like a sexually severance a free t-shirt I didn't know exactly what severance right, what right. that I never talked about I knew what a severance was but right right dude I got like like I said, I've been there six years, and I was a full-time employee. I never – my job was vacation. If I, if I didn't do anything for two weeks, I didn't, like, sign – I didn't sign off on my vacation thing. But everyone else – so basically I had, like, four, three, two, three, four months of vacation. I mean, it was crazy. So I got paid for all that and my years of service. Nice. My severance check was enough to live on for a year. Wow. On a job I was trying to quit. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> crazy. So so when all this was going on, I, I did not know this, unless I'm in, incorrect in the way I'm understanding this. So, GT bought Schwinn, so... No, some weird company... Oh, the, the, the original company, Scott, that bought Schwinn at, for like 15 or 20 million dollars. Oh, Scott, that's right. In three years, they, it, it, was turned, it was like... 
80, $100 million company. So they're like, wow, this is insane. This is, like I said, it was like catching lightning in a bottle. They're right. like, we, we can't do any better than this, blah, blah, blah. So they sold it. To, I can't even remember who it was at that time. And that wasn't a terrible company at first, but it was an event. It was a venture capitalist. And then I think it might have, I don't think it was that company. I think it was another company bought Schwinn and then um, their objective which nobody knew was to buy GT as well so so what I'm getting at is on the on the fan side of things where we're watching the Schwinn team whether you're in the jumpsuits or whether you're in the, yeah. you know whatever area you were and in th- the this Schwinn is, deal this is later later but a lot of people probably don't probably the last realize. two years it was Schwinn and GT were owned by the same company and I don't think a lot of people realize that no so so there are obviously the, the firm haters but that's they were right, actually my point under is, the like, same umbrella yeah, as the Schwinn guys. You either were a Schwinn person or a GT person, yeah. right? Yes. As far as if you were into big companies. No and doubt. That, you know. Yeah, you either loved In Lee or you loved Tim Strelicki. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that was, that's a reality. Yeah, so it, was, it was a very weird scene. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit. But I, I learned a sh- Working at Schwinn was like going to the... Uh, you know, University of Bicycle Industry. You know, it was crazy. Sure. Let's talk about on the um, on the fan side. Let's talk a little bit about that Schwinn team because my vivid memories of Schwinn involved the race side, of course, where it was the Fosters, it was Tony Snaka, it was Bogey, it was um, Timmy, Joey, uh, Joey, in right, camp. in pole camp. So I remember, obviously, you you remember these pictures too at the Grand. You'd have a picture of two or three of them in one moto, and that was the jumpsuit era, I think, or that one time. Yeah, I guess that was, was that the Grand one off. One that was a one off, right? But uh, Tony, so you were in Colorado, so uh, I and I've talked about this on previous podcasts. There was a race in Connecticut, uh, and the team came out to my house and rode the trails behind my house. Was Tony house. pulling the trailer? And I'm, that's what I'm getting at. I'm pretty sure Tony would have been pulling the trailer at that point because I believe, t- I know Tony was there because I got a picture of Tony it, and Because it wasn't me. So you were in Colorado at the time that Tony was pulling the trailer? Yeah, I hired Tony really early on to, was... to do the basically clinic tour pro thing. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think he was based in Florida for a little bit and then we both moved to Colorado maybe at the same time yeah we okay. did me and Tony moved to Colorado at the same time because oh, okay. we lived in a house together just outside of Boulder and he was and on then, the road though and he was on the road and then I think Tony was he he still was in that stage where he wanted to be like make it in double A like so me he was just like we needed somebody more clinic oriented sure so Tony was a little bit, and then my boss was like, hey, man, he's like, Tony needs to do more clinics and focus less on racing. And I was like, ooh, that's, 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 that's going to be a nice, nice subject approach. And I was right. like, hey, Pat wants you to focus more on clinics and do whatever, you know, do. And Tony's like, man, he's like, I don't want to do clinics on Wednesday and Thursday before a race. And I was like, ooh. I was like, you need to talk to Pat about this. Yeah. And him and Pat just couldn't work it out. Um, so Tony ended up moving back to Florida and doing, I think, Giant. But yeah, but Tony drove the truck and trailer yeah. probably a year and a okay. half in yeah. clinics and whatnot. And then, so when they got rid of, when we, when Tony left to go back to Florida and do Giant thing, 
I was, so I had moved to Colorado. I was like, I'm going to go work in the office, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, boy, I don't want to fucking be in the office with these kooks all day long. Right. So I was like, uh, told this, you know, I, I, I don't know if Pat Schrader was still there or Schaefer, whichever guy. I was like, hey, man. I was like, I'll hop in the truck and trailer and drive it around till we find somebody. We're like, cool. And I had, we had, like, a nice land cruiser or something crazy like that. Yeah. So I started driving it just to get away from the office. So I would piled into that thing I, I probably drove that thing for probably a year straight oh, okay. and then uh, and then we hired uh, Travis Turrison to do it sure. and then when I was like I'm done done with all this because he was just doing you know just driving to the race that and then I hired Lou to do a bigger expansion because Travis was right, pretty good at racing too so I, sure. I needed a non-racer guy to do all the bullshit that I had to do on a daily basis plus the truck and trailer. So that's Lou was the third guy yeah, on that. And I that's when I moved to Cal. I was like, don't need to drive a truck and trailer anymore or work in this office. See ya. So so when the Schwinn team dissolved, uh, were, some of the guys kept racing, right? And then the other guys slowly moved on. Yeah. What, so, right after the Schwinn thing... Uh, as far as the team goes. You the know, team was... When, the, when team. the Schwinn thing... Like the first wave of shitting the bed happened, and then the next year was Brian. I had three years. Brian was on the last year of his, a three-year contract, so they wanted to just sign him a one-year contract because um, he was already. He went from like top three, top five, double A guy. He was still a top ten guy, but that sure. wasn't good enough for them it's like dude you got whatever you guys are fucking nuts they basically they, they thought realize. brian was on the downs the downside of his career so basically but it was it was a big contract it was it was the same as his third year but it's like no we looking back he's been underpaid these five years you need to pay him what you should have been paying him the first year of this three-year contract let's do that Plus, he was a multi-talented guy. And they he were like, nope. I mean, in, in like, I'm, I'm talking, you're talking about turning down. The base salary was probably five or six grand a month, at least, plus all the contingents, blah, blah, all that, plus Zerowak money. I mean, it was, it was, it was a big contract, but yeah. with all the guarantees, it was probably well 100, over a hundred. Yeah, with with just the Schwinn stuff, it's probably be if you had a halfway decent year and didn't get hurt or whatever, you make hundred grand. Right. And they were just like and expenses paid. Yeah, so I was like, I was, and I, I, the best part of this is like, I wasn't at Schwinn anymore. So, Alan, not Alan, Brian, Neil Wood, Joey, Garcia, Pole Camp, and Van, like. Um, I, I think I might have approached him. I said, hey, man, I'm still tight with all these guys, and I still know the Schwinn budgets. And I, I was like, I think I can no- negotiate you guys like better contracts for at least Pole Camp, Brian, Joey, and, and Van. And, uh, with? With Schwinn. With Schwinn. So when I called up Schaefer, I was like, hey, I'm representing these guys. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? I said, ha, ha, ha. So anyway, so I was negotiating with him. But with, with pole camp, I got So now you've become the, yeah. the, the agent. <laughs> and I was like, I know how much money you got, Jeff. Right. So anyways, I negotiated uh, pole camp, a really, really good deal. Joey, a super good deal. Van, a pretty good deal. Van still, he was just blowing up at this point. Right. But I mean, he was, when you're behind BF, pole camp, and Joey, and they'd already been there two or three years before him. Sure. But he, it, anyways, it was a, for Van at that point in time. It, it was, it was a good deal for him too. And they were all like two, three year deals. Right. But right. Brian's was only a year, and so I worked everything out with all those guys. And then I called Schaefer. I was like, Ah, 
Brian's not going to take the deal. He's like, are you at what? And I was like, I worked out another deal with him. He's like, he's going to ride for this company called Fit that Robbie Morales in a in Molar are starting. He's like, he's like, he's like, what? And I was like, no, we really pieced together a good deal. And I was like, meanwhile, you're and I was like, your, I was like, your your deal. I was like, your deal is a gold watch deal, like a retirement deal. Right. Right. So anyways, the, I had gotten got this Schwinn deal on the table, and then I'd lined up Fit, Fox, Brian Stellar's Airwalk stuff, Voxum. I, I can't even remember the weird shit, but it yeah, e- yeah. almost equaled the Schwinn deal. Yeah. You know, there obviously the contingencies and all that weren't crazy, but, I mean, it was it was enough where Brian could say, I, I can walk away from this. And uh, Alan, Alan was like, he didn't have this conversation with Brian, but he I had a brief conversation with one time. He's like, he goes, I think Brian might be insane. <laughs> he's like, he, I, he's like, the deal, the Schwinn deal is this. And I'm like, yep. And he's like, the other fit stuff, fit, box them all this, is like this. He's like, it sounds good, but he's like, knowing Brian, he's like, because just, I just bottled it after what Alan had already been doing. Sure. He's like, yeah, but Brian doesn't call people. He doesn't send in race reports. He's not booking his own trips. No. And, uh, and he was like, I, fuck, I don't know, man. So anyways, Brian did it in a, I mean, obviously it worked out fine for right. for. for for everyone involved, but that's oh, look at the foreshadowing because yeah, but that's it, that's how all that came out. And the reason I would Schwinn, like I said, would have been... I, had, I was doing the Schwinn. Uh, I'm trying to piece. Oh, no wonder I was I, I was doing faction. I completely forgot. I was like, why was I even still in Which BMX? Is, yeah, like, why yeah. wasn't I doing something else? Because I always got some something stupid that keeps me in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm stuck in working in BMX because mm-hmm. that because that fucking magazine. So that's why I was doing. Sad S and M at that point in time. Right. Was doing faction. So I had I knew fit was happening. I was there the first sure, the, you're from, faction from out of day S&M. one. Like the first day they're like So now you're running your third or fourth company out of S and I so I knew fit was happening. <laughs> How many so offices I was, so did you have at S and M with different companies? A, a few. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Oddly enough, a few. Yeah. yeah. Um so I knew fit was happening. I was yeah. like, hey man. I think if we, if I can cobble this shit together and you can pay Brian X amount of money, right. we can get him on there. And and this is like all of a sudden Fit turn. And this story's been told before too. Sure. Fit was going to be, you know, the Aaron Bostroms of the world. Some guys like just coming up the pro ranks that don't aren't, aren't making three, four, five thousand dollars a month. You know, just pay him a little bit of money. Let's get the ball rolling. Feel it out. See if we can do a. a Sister brand that's totally different from S and M, clean, right. blah blah, right. you know, Robo style. Sure. So and so it turns into like all of a sudden it's BF, Aitken, and Homan. Yep. Chris went from yeah, let's just start a low budget, low key thing to like he used to, he made more of an investment in these guys than he ever had in any S and M guy. And he, so Chris like, what am I getting roped into with this shit? So he's like, oh fuck, let's jump off the cliff. Right. So that's how the whole the fit thing with Brian came, and and uh, eventually Van came up. Uh, Van Van signed the Schwinn deal, and that shit to bed. He jumped. He was like, "Well, right. we've already talked about the fit thing. He already knew that's so that Van and Aitken. So BF and Aitken were the first first guys and on it. Two right? of those guys, you know, unfortunately uh, can't count Aitken in on this one. But uh, two of those three guys, almost twenty years with the same company, right? Mm-hmm. With fit, yeah, crazy, which is amazing. So yep. in just in time because so, so that, that's that deal. that's that's the point is Brian's like how crazy what a and we talked about that in BF and how crazy that he made that choice because if he would have done that one more year 
it would have ended then, uh, and then it would have been one year farther down of being able to get people to pay you. Right. You know what I mean? It might have not. We might not have been able to pull cobble that little you know independent sure. team together. So Which it was really good timing. And yeah, the you know that Schwinn thing would have literally lasted one year, and that would have been the end of it. The fit thing. They would have lost their opportunity and their yeah, leverage. The, the fit thing has la- has been. You know, pushing yeah. 20 years, you know, 17, 18 years. Just in time. What would those guys be doing if they stayed with them? They would have lost their chance at these at these leverage deals. Yeah, you know? pretty nuts. It's, that's crazy. So, obviously, shout out to, um, I hope I'm not wrong on this, um, Stu for, for BF it, right? So that, uh, that, obviously, everyone should have, if you haven't, absolutely watched that because that's a that's a great history of Brian and a lot of, a lot of exactly what we're talking about, right? Yep. And, and Alan and you talking about Brian, and I think it's still the funniest thing to me that if you ever want a response from Brian, don't hold your breath on anything. <laughs> I just ate breakfast with Moeller this morning. Yeah. And we were talking about the Wild Man. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I was like, hey, if you ever want Brian to answer one of your texts, I I figured out what it is. I was like. You could ask him something semi-important, and he'll never answer you. Mm-hmm. If you want an answer to a question, have something about the wild man in there, and a wild man update, and work your question in there. He'll answer you within five minutes. <laughs> That's the trigger. Yeah, he fought like just, you can't even. It's so unbelievable. That's the wild man scene in life is so unbelievable and absurd. Yeah. It will right. get a text response out of uh-huh. out of BF. Well, it's. It, I think the whole. Starting to rip the track. The, absolutely, yeah. Circle jerk flat track race tonight, right? Magoo's, oh, yeah. Magoo's deal built well. Yeah, we're watching dudes practice on a half mile dirt oval track for yeah. for built well circle jerk race. They're oh, on look, some janky ass bikes too. And they're hitting the Scotty Kramer best trick jump right now too on right. that on that super janky ramp. Our view is crazy. One. To the right of us is a full sand and clay motocross track directly in front of us is a size of four football fields yeah. mud pit and right. across from the mud pit is a half half mile uh, oval <laughs> dirt track and to the left of us are the, the ramps and dirt and the, jumps it's a great yeah. view uh, this is and a, on the other side of that is what appears to be a wine vineyard yeah i'm not exaggerating am yeah. i yeah no you're not you're not this is an amazing view and who would have thought this would be in the in the in, middle of uh in florida, in florida. And for anybody who wants to know i just moved out to this area of florida uh you know it's when 25 25 miles outside of orlando yeah and you're just it's a whole different world out here uh-huh. but it's great it's hilly yeah it's green there's vineyards there's lakes rivers springs yeah it's a great area did you, did you ever Florida's, get the, a, Florida's underrated. I never thought I would move back, but uh-huh. living in Binghamton will, will motivate you to, to live anywhere. Yeah. Um, but it's, and, and people are being sold on it again that grew up here and moved away. And a lot of people that have never been here sure. or have always hated Florida, they're coming back. Now yeah. like, you know what? It's not as shitty as I remember. It's cheap, redneck, yeah. California, man. Land here, cheap. There's no, there's no income tax. That's good. That that is made amazing in and of itself. No income tax. That's crazy. But they do, they do get you on the house to, on the property tax, though, right? It's it's not not in Lake County, not out here in the, in oh, the no? cut. It's not bad at all. Oh, where my dad was before he passed to Merritt Island. It's it's. Oh yeah, he's on the moved. he's on the coast. Yeah, Cocoa Beach area. Yeah, you you when you're on the coast, that's 
valuable property. People want to be out there. Like when you're, this land is is of now value out oh, okay. here. That's so a it's big, by, yeah, it's coastal. By county. Oh yeah, yeah, and so Brevard oh, versus I, here. I'm sure property taxes in Miami mm-hmm. are fifty times more than they are in Lake County. And what's crazy? When, if you live next to a mud bog, your property taxes are low in Florida. Sure. If you live next to South Beach. Your property taxes are batshit crazy. And it depends on when you bought, right? Because I believe his his, his big complaint was he bought at a high point. So he pays more than his neighbor, even though the houses are worth the same because he are bought at a higher Are they still valuing rate. it at what he bought it? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's suck. Yeah, it's, my, good, it's good to live in the middle. Yeah, my, my property coast. taxes, and I live in town. Like, we're out in the fucking cut. I mean, yeah. I live in town. The population's 7,000 people, but right. the town next to me, that's a... A big town is, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand people. Right. My property taxes are, and I have, I have my house, and then like mm-hmm. a little property attached to it, so I get right. taxed separate. It's right. like twelve hundred dollars a year. Yeah, that's for amazing. two pieces of property. That's it's amazing. fucking, uh, yeah. I've, same thing yeah. In, in say New York. And but four same thing. Like if that. I lived in Orlando, twenty-five miles away, I couldn't, I can't afford. I don't mm-hmm. make enough money to live there. Right. Right. Well, you know what? Let's hit some Instagram questions because... Okay. Uh, yeah, gonna, and also gonna... I apologize. I, it's Why? pretty early in the morning. And, uh, what are you apologizing for? And because every time I walk by when you're doing the podcast yesterday, people were saying lunatic shit. And mine's <laughs> been pretty mellow and just, I'm the, really got into pretty... We're before noon. It's been, yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> the stories, they might be like, have some interesting details with it. Pretty milk toast. And I talked to Ronnie after. He's like, I can't believe. And Ronnie was drunk during it and he was I could tell he was on a roll and feeling very uh, oh he was on a roll he's not sure. really a, I've known Ronnie forever and yeah. as far as industry stuff or just talking talking about all the weird he's got it like Ronnie's gotten into way weirder shit than me and he's traveled way more it, than me he's had way more experiences yeah. in weird BMX industry or just well, you know weird what? shit because he travels so much but anyways he was like what he talked two, two and a half three hours when yeah. he's like man I I can't believe I was talking about that. I was like, oh, boy. There was nothing. but No way. Because obviously nothing I was so that crazy? Report. No. Okay. You know, his stories were so good okay. and so good. accurate and educational nice. because for guys like me that missed that gap of time, he filled in so much nice. information and in, in just like you are, uh, filled in so much information that people are going to love to hear. So Cool. He no, he did an awesome job with it. I I didn't get that at all. Oh damn! I was hoping he lost his goddamn mind. No, no, no. <laughs> he did say some funny stuff and did answer a couple funny questions. Nice. But um, so anyway, I'm going to start with a couple questions because it'll cover questions I would have asked, but they're from really good people. So this one's from Stu Johnson. So shout out and, to Stu. And I predict Stu Johnson's is uh, he's talking shit. Um no. Okay. No, he's not. He's not. Let's hear. Let's hear. He, but maybe he was in a different state of mind when he. Broke Usually this. he's he's mad because I left his bike with a flat on some <laughs> fucking props trip 15 years ago, and it wasn't flat when I left the bike in Rise Garage. It was flat when he got there five, fucking five hours later. I'm not joking. This fucking guy, and, and not e- not even sarcastically or jokingly. He was mostly like genuinely, you fucking left me with a flat. I was like, dude, that was eight, eight years ago. What do you want me to do? It was not flat when I left it. And so, we, we I don't know if I've told this one. I've done, of course, I've done Dale thing. Go so, this it. all goes back to, I mean, we're, we're 10 years in on this fucking Stu Johnson flat debacle. And he's like, you still owe me. You still owe me. I, so, I he's have. having the anthem premiere. 
yeah. in Austin, Anthem 2 premiere. Right. For some reason, all the posters were printed somewhere in Tampa, mm-hmm. and they weren't done until Thursday. Mm-hmm. The premiere's on Saturday. He's, all the guys are there, so he wants them all to sign each poster because they come in the years. And I'm like, so he calls me. He's like, hey, I got a crazy question. Are you coming to Texas Toast? And uh, I was like, I, I kind of want to, but I don't know. Maybe all around week. I I'm, I was like, I'm positive I could get somebody to drive. We'd get a crew to drive, but yeah, whatever. He's like, you know, and he's like, man, he's got these posters. Well, I was like, you know what? I was like, my dad's been bugging me to get a car for two years. I was like, I'll go down to our lot, try to find something that'll make it to Texas and back. Yeah, and I'll get back to you. I was like, I'll buy a car, drive these freaking posters there, and then we're done with this fucking flat bullshit. He's like, <laughs> de- he's like, deal. I'll pay for your. He's like, I'll pay for your gas. All right. So I go, I go down, get, get like some blazer. Yeah. I was like, all right, Stu, I got a vehicle. I was right. like, I was like, uh, Chad Walk and Shear are gonna come with us. So right. Uh, Sparky's will pay for our hotel. So we're in. So I jammed there on a Thursday. We drove all the way to Austin. Yeah. Mate, got the got the posters there on time. They all signed them. So that was. That absolved the uh, oh, it did the, the tire fucking favor debacle. I'm still squashed it, but I a flat tire that I didn't know about. I had to buy a fucking vehicle and drive immediately to Austin, Texas, to drop off posters to absolve this fucking ten year old fucking salt that he had. We're gonna do a little ball busting later because I've got some spare tubes, and we're gonna wrap one up in a bone, give it to Stu later nice. on. Nice. So how about we do that later? Because Absolutely. That, and let's say, is, is the beef buried? Here's a tube. All right, let's hear his, let's hear his question. All right, here's this question. You, try, you tried to start a shoe company called Cast, which is important because I think people need to know this, that Chase Hawk was going to ride for. What happened with that? Okay, I will give... I was living in Philadelphia. Uh, I was do, doing faction, trying, trying to wind down faction. I was trying to... Were you with Derek at all? No. Little Devil? He's involved in this. Okay. So, I, you know, I, I was in Philly and, and, and Orchid was going and that's they had their big warehouse that was filled with empty space and two shelves with stuff on it and giant ramps. <laughs> I was like, this is... I was like, trust me, if I learned anything from Chris Moeller, if your ramp is bigger than your shelves and your stock, you've got something wrong. This you're you're what you're paying you're paying for dead space here. Yeah, yeah. You're going so, anyways, places. like this, stuff, I don't know, whatever. They were selling forty thousand backpacks here. They were doing fine. So anyway, so you know, I was go, I was in Philly, so I was, you know, Derek come hang at our house. I was going up to Little Devil a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, so I was trying to just fucking get rid of faction and run its course. I was like, man, I it's just this is, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. So I got scraped up enough money to do a. You know, some of those issues, the last one wasn't, but some of those issues, you know, 45, 50 fucking thousand dollars to print. So I fucking scrounged up enough wow. money to print the last one, printed that, and I was like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta cut my losses here. Right. So, uh, well, like everything else, so I, I stopped doing that, but towards the end of that, the guy that designed the orchids, a guy named Sean Carboy, yeah. helped Derek with Orchid, did all that, and then he went to, to S after that. Okay. And I had obviously met Carboy when he was working at Orchid. And uh, just, he, we all hung out with the same art kooks 
in, in Philly, whatever, graphic designers. Um, so he, Carboy was the one that suggested it. He's like, hey, if you're not going to do that magazine, he's like, you got all these resources. You seem to know what you're doing. Like you, sh He's like, you could do a shoe company. And I was like, I have never thought about that in my life, but how would this even work? And he was like, I could help you. And he's like, Ralph Stalin work, Ralph Awesome, he can do your design and logos and whatever, and you understand technical drawings and, you know, a product drawing. Right. Which Ralph didn't even know what a millimeter was. When, I, when we started doing, do, <laughs> developing the outsole, I was like, this is 25 millimeters, this is 23, and he's like, what is a millimeter? I was like, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> measurement right right okay but how and it's like this one it's like a hair right okay okay <laughs> so anyway so ralph was helping me because i didn't i hadn't figured out illustrator at that point in time but mm -hmm. so anyways so carboy basically gave us a template mm -hmm. and it was sort of sort of an s template and it was a really modern spanky shoe so everything about our fit and outsole was at the time was pretty it was up to speed with what people were going to be coming out with a year from then. I mean, it took me three years after that to even get close to having finished samples. But anyway, so the, the that's how that started, and we just we designed a he and, he and he hooked me up with a trading agent. So we designed three models, all the colorways. Oh my God, I was two three years in. We were on probably our fourth sample, and I think I might have needed one more sample. Like the uppers were, were good, all the logos were good, every all three, the colorways, everything, the outsole, the shape and all that was good. But I think the vendor that we had, we needed to go somebody that was a little bit better. Right. Uh, just a, a one step up quality. That's another, when you're, even with bike parts, when you're developing something, it's that's one of the biggest things is, is what level of pricing and quality you want to be at. I mean, because they can make something low quality, high quality, pricing so you got to get that that spot so I, I think i was pretty much one sample away from that so anyway so i'm in philly i'm that's i'm devoting all my time and energy into and i'm working weird odd jobs and shit to pay you know food and rent so then i wasn't i wasn't without a bmx job for very long so but i was in philly for a while uh and then i moved i didn't i was just doing design stuff with ralph for maybe four five six months in philly um, no samples, and then uh, I started working. I moved to Austin and started. Chris needed a brand manager. This is one of those. This is probably 2005, and I worked with Chris in over 10 years. Right. Chris like, hey, I need a brand manager. Blah blah blah. And he, we we talked about that before in Philly, and just never came out. And he's like, I definitely need somebody now. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm in Philly. I don't really have a whole lot going here. I was kind of thinking about moving to Austin. I could do it from Austin. Sure. Uh, I was like, I don't want to do an in-house. He's like, you can do it out, 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 outside. He's like, I got most everything handled inside. I just need, you know, sure. you know, trafficking ads, just collecting shit. He's like, he's like, the team's a disaster right now, so you don't really need to worry too much about that. You just need to do some ads. Anyways, whatever. So I ended up in Austin, and I was, again, I was doing s and and casting at the same time. And when I got there, uh, it was the first samples I got. Uh -huh. Where when I right when I got to Austin, yeah. and I lived right next to Timmy Martin, Timmy and Chase were hanging out a lot, yeah. and I pulled out the shoes and they looked really good. And I was like, "You want to test these?" And Chase like, and he wasn't. I don't even think he had a shoe deal at that point. He said, "Fuck yeah!" And the 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 shoe, the outsole was shape was everything good. The uppers were good. 
and uh but the, the outsole was like super super soft and uh so chase literally rode the shoes for like two weeks and just burned a hole and he's like i don't know about these shoes he's like they felt great for the first day and i'm like yeah that shit's way too soft yeah so he was like so immediately he's like uh i was like it's i was like it's gonna be a one or two more samples and right. it was well i mean we were that was first sample we were three samples away from getting them done and then he just he was like so he did run some sample shoes but then like he, he just like he went to low tech because they were already existing sure. real company that had finished shoes um so that that's where the chase hawk thing comes in and then so that i mean this is it took three years to get to where we were i was ready to do samples but i got probably the second or third sample i went to inner bike probably a year or two in and showed everyone at Interbike. I was like, hey, here's the shoe. I think I'm one or two away. So then I got probably, Dan's was on board, La Finca, uh, 70s, and 70s was the backer of it. I'd spent, you know, as much money as I could getting to that point, but I needed, you know, uh, and at the time it was Ian Morris was still there. So it was Ian and Stu. Oh, okay. They were like, oh, fuck, this is great. Uh, or Ian was. Right. I didn't really talk to Stu about it too much. Right. And then, like, some Australian shit. Anyways, I, like, pre-booked, yeah. like, enough to cover the minimums and everything with just not even the final samples. So I was right there. And then, uh, then it took probably... I was working on the sample, like, the final samples, getting that dialed in, working with all the distros and how it was going to work. And, like, uh, 70... Ian left 70s and that just it just shit the bed right then because Ian was the champion behind it yeah. like he's like I'll help you make this happen we'll get it across the finish line Ian left to go do four down and then Stu called me he's like we, he's like I can't he's like I can't do this he's like I was on board but it was Ian's thing he's like now that Ian's gone he's like we got low tech and orc they, and they literally had low tech and orc he's like it would be insane to have a third two company and I was like all right and it just it just shit the bed right then never never, never went any off. never went any further and I just I started working uh, like literally working for FBM like right where I was like well this ain't gonna work and I was and then Steve yeah. Steve's like just was like you know I was talking to Steve like everyone else semi-frequently and he's like so what are you doing because I was at Leland's house at that point in time. oh okay Thurman uh, is that right yeah I was living in Louisville for a couple months uh, the SM thing lasted like I was in Austin for a year doing that and then right. Chris was like oh I don't need you anymore I'm done I was like alright right. so I was like moved to Leland's to do he has some uh, a buddy that owns a trade show company, uh-huh. so I just went and lived at Leland's and did that for a few months. And then Cran was like, "What are you gonna do now?" I was like, "I don't know." I was like, "I haven't really looked for a job. I, mean, I haven't really even thought about anything." He's like, it's it's interesting. Like, and he goes, like- "He goes, would you be interested in working for FBM and helping us do completes?" And I, right. and I was like, "Yeah, absolutely, no problem." Because and that's the shoe thing. That's the failure thing. Like the shoe thing failed. Sure. But I learned so much about product development, and I was working with a guy in right. Taiwan. I was already right. getting samples from yeah. Taiwan, and it was a line of shoes and makes and models and colorways and skews. So it played so right I just, into it. Literally, yeah. I just took that. I was like, well, I didn't pull this fucking project off. And I just took every step, all the processes, I already had them dialed and detailed in. Right. And I was, like, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I'll call Moeller, Dean Bradley, and Magoo. And I was like, we'll, I was like we can pull it off. Nice. So then I, I li- literally within I moved to Binghamton yeah. within a week or two. No, what? Have you ever looked for a job? No. Because <laughs> that's literally what's amazing never. about you. Every job has every, just it was worked out. 
It's just been a friend that says contacts you and says, "Hey, do you want to do just this?" Always timing. The time, yeah. In I've fact, literally, and and this is working in BMX. I think the longest I didn't have a BMX job for yeah. in for twenty five years was probably six months. That is amazing. maybe eight months That's at the most. Amazing. But I never had a problem going and doing horseshit work right, for right. a few months. And sure. I, I mean, by. if so, if it like if a year goes by and I'm like, oh, I'm setting up fucking trade show boost with Leland in his spare in like in his spare time with right. you know meth heads right you know I'm not going to do that for a year but I have no problem doing that for a few months sure you know sure you keep yourself and some, some, uh, somehow just by luck something always popped up in enough time where I didn't have to like I, I, become I mean, a real some human some of it's luck but obviously relationships that's, 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 that's the transition into FBI wow that's, so that, that's pretty good so Chase Hawk uh not wanting to wear Chase shoes ended up with me with a job at FBM. Thanks, Chase. Nah. It worked out for the best. Yeah, it did. No <laughs> doubt there was. He, if he would have worn those shoes, it actually line. probably might have launched, yeah. and it would have failed. It would absolutely would have failed, but we wouldn't have. It would have. It would have failed at zero dollars. Yeah. There's just you, nobody. I mean, low tech is still around, but that's because of tip and you know right. the, a standalone BMX shoe. You you can't fucking compete. Skate, skate, all skate shoe companies, not all, 90% of them have failed because you can't compete in the shoe business. Imagine a BMX company. So it was doomed to fail, but if we would have launched, it would have lasted at least, I think, two or three model seasons right. before we were like, eh, it's not, fuck, let's spend yeah. our time and effort doing something else. Right. I mean, you're never going to get rich, but you no. don't want to fucking work your ass off to right. barely, barely survive. Thank God you came out of that one, yes. you know, at least even, and with another job. All right, so this one's from Seth Medeiros. He's a, he's a friend Who? of Seth Medeiros. Okay. He's, um, he's buddies with Cody Diggs. He, they, okay. dig, they work together on their trails at Cody's house. Really cool guy. Always has good questions. Nice. Uh, you've worn so many hats in the industry. What was the toughest job that you've had? The magazine... Because it was it was by far the most expensive. Each magazine was crazy, crazy expensive. Uh, like I was saying before, I mean, you have a forty-five, fifty thousand dollar, and that's nothing for a ride or whatever. But right. well, when you're an independent publisher, right. and there were points in time where I was I was the only person. I had to generate. It, when when your print bill, I didn't have credit. Right. They weren't gonna like print a magazine. Fifty thousand dollar print bill without forty thousand dollars up front. So that was that was batshit crazy. Meeting deadlines, chasing ad money, chasing content, and I don't like writing. I don't I, shooting photos is, is okay. I'm not. I don't particularly like writing. Which is I don't funny like editing. I'm a terrible is, editor. Which is I can't, funny because I can't you're a good spell, writer. But my grandpa, eh, my, not technically. Like some yeah. of this, I read. I don't. I only have a few factions, but I, yeah. or if I'm in somebody's house, they have. I read some of the articles. I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would just sit at a typewriter, get to a word count. You know, you lay out the photos. Okay, it's definitely going to be 1,200 words. I would get to 1,200 words and just stop. <laughs> I hit 12. Sometimes, sometimes I would read it again. I read some of these articles in the magazine. It's literally the second time I've read. I never edit anything. The ter- spelling's terrible, awful. Oh, but so the magazine wasn't. I'm not passionate about that. I'm not passionate about magazines right. and print and right. history and vintage and stuff. So that, that I wasn't cut out for that. Sure. But like that goes back to luckily, I could, I could run a shoestring borderline failing business. My problem was on stuff and with faction. 
I wasn't trying to make money. Brad McDonald was trying to make money and being a successful publisher. Right. You know? I yeah. I wasn't trying to make money with that. and But I did. I, I, I probably lost... Uh, over. We did 22 issues. I probably only lost... Twenty or thirty thousand dollars, which that sounds like, well, t- good job, dude. That's only fifteen hundred dollars an issue, and that's over. That's not that bad. Like Marco, Marco, like Marco lost eighty thousand dollars doing four issues of Tread. <gasps> so you can go south real fucking quick. You can make a wow. twenty or thirty thousand dollar mistake printing a, an independently published magazine. Wow. Oh, so to man. only to get to twenty two issues and only lose thirty thousand dollars was an accomplishment and I like I said I learned a lot about marketing dealing with media companies advertising and, and that was circulate, over whatever and that was over like six years or so and right? I worked with a lot of people right you know right so yeah. that was wow well you know what I'm gonna that's gonna uh, kind of knock off a question here but I always like to shout out to people that sending questions is uh, Andrew Bupri said um, bring back faction that's just a comment. And the, and every, everybody asked, uh, is, is that the end of the question? No, well, no, and then he asked, best Road Fools one story. Okay. But, well, um, the Bring Back Faction, uh, I, did, I didn't start that. The backstory on that is this was actually the fucking wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I have a Schwinn office at SM already, right. and I'm staying at Chris's house. He wouldn't accept any rent. He's like, I don't want a roommate. I was like, Chris, I've been here six months. He's like, but I don't want an official roommate. All right, whatever. Uh-huh. I eventually got my own place, but... Yeah. Uh, so, so I have... Because I don't, I don't want to work out of his house. I like... I, I've, I've worked out of my house probably 50% of the time over my bike stuff. And then I, like, I prefer working in an office. I feel more productive and you get a place to go. But anyways, so right. that's why I had an office there. So he got kicked out of Ride for an offensive well it was the have dank ad with with a they made a hand brink fork into a bong and it's the ad with bogey yes. so brad's like i don't know about this ad he's like i don't want to he didn't say i don't want to promote drug use he said walmart or whoever was his big distributor is isn't gonna they're not gonna put this on the newsstand and chris is like that's fuck you i don't believe in censorship blah blah, blah. And Brad's like, and he's like, if you would have said, I don't want to promote drug use personally, Chris is like, I would have been like, I understand that. But because it's going to cost you sales, no. And Brad's like, I'm not running that. He's like, I'll make you a new ad. So Chris read out just this offense. Oh, my God. He was just attacking Brad and Todd Toth and like, bah, it, was, it was gnarly. And he just sent it over in a shitty fax. This is my new ad. And then Toth, I don't know if Toth called or emailed uh, he's like, yeah, we, we're no longer accepting any of your ads. Right. So basically, they said, like, Chris got kicked, and they were the only game in town. So Chris like, oh, fuck. Yeah, so right. Chris like, I'll start my own magazine. So Will gets wind of this. Chris like, you want to start a magazine? I'm like, absolutely not. And he's like, so Will got word of this. Yeah. And Will's like, don't do that. Distribute Dig in the States through S&M. He's like, so him and him and Chris worked out some deal. Uh, he gave him a flat rate. Yeah. And then Will sent him all the files. And I mean, this was Dig 11. And Will had probably been working on Dig 11 for years, you know, because Dig sometimes would take years and years. So Will just had a shit ton of money into it and tons, of, you know, you're paying for contributions, photos, whatever. 
So, but anyways, Chris negotiated a flat rate. So Will sends us the, the files, and Chris is like, "You want to sell the ads, ads for this, so I can help pay for this print bill." You know, Chris got us like, you know, CPA, and he did all the fucking numbers, called all these printers and this, that, and the other, and he's like, "We need to sell some ads because we're giving Will this and shipping and that." Blah. I said, "We need to sell ads." I'm like, "All right." It's like, "Do you want to sell ads?" He's like, "Not really." I was like, "But whatever, I will." Uh-huh. You know, I kind of already have a job at Schwinn. Right. I'm not sure if they're going to be too into me doing a, a magazine and selling ads to our competitors. But, hey, I'll run across and say, hey, guys, I'm going to do – and they already were like – they're like – they already like, how do you have a, the Schwinn BMX office in S&M? How do you pull this stuff off? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, that doesn't even make any sense. Right. So when I call up, I say, hey, Moeller's going to uh, – Moeller's going to print Dig, and I'm going to sell the ads. And they're like, to our competitors? They're like, so you're going to call our competitors and ask them for money, and you're the Schwinn guy. I was like, right. yeah. They're like, how's that work? I'm like, Try, we'll make it work. So basically, <laughs> no one needs to when know I was calling, the and they're like, they're like, because then they basically when you call Jim Ford at Haro, and you're the Schwinn BMX guy to sell them some ad for some third-party magazine, that you pick each other's brains. Well, what's going on at Schwinn? Right. You know, I'm like, well, what's going on at Haro? So people didn't even care about the magazine. They just they would give us eight hundred dollars for an ad just to like pick my brain or whatever. Right. I didn't give up then. What am I gonna give up? But right. anyways, so yeah, we sold a bunch of ads, yeah. and then so the next magazine, Will was like, "Holy shit! Look at all these ads! Like, you, and you paid for your print. Like, you know, we actually made money because Chris knows how. Like, that's what Chris Chris tries to make money. Sure, he doesn't like to do things that are don't make money. Right, like." Right. It's not. It's not what work is. Right. Like you know, whether it's BMX or not. Like sure. I know people. There's people don't even sit on the fence. Like it's being you making money on BMX sucks and what. What I, I don't like. If it's your job or if you're starting a com- if you're starting a company because you love BMX, and you you don't want to make money. You're, and this is an unpopular opinion, but you're taking up space. So you start a business to make money. If you don't want to make money on BMX buy somebody else's products that already wants to make money but sure anyways so that made money so that like i said i never i never even talked to will about any stuff i talked to him a little bit about how ad sales were going but he's him just he's dealing with chris directly so the next one he was like issue 12 uh he's like i'll send you the files sent chris an invoice and chris was like this is four times what the last one was, Will. And Will's like, well, he's like, I had all these expenses, blah, blah. And Chris's like, yeah, but that's, you do the Europe stuff. You make your money back on that, and we make it. And he's like, yeah, but you're the only one making money. Chris's like, I just, I don't know. It's not my fault. So that, that was just a big falling out. And, like, all the dig guys were like, what the fuck? Chris Moeller and John Paul, he has a job. Right. Chris owns a company, and they just made money on all of our photos and comp- contributions. And, and like, it was never we never were promised those guys money. But anyways, so they were salty. So we we actually wrote all those guys checks, but they weren't. It was a lot less than I think they were expecting. But whatever. So right. they're, they're pissed at us. Right. So that that went away, and Chris is like, "Fuck, fuck, what is going?" He's like, "We're starting our own magazine." I was like, "I am not into that at all." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Why?" I was like, "Dude, I, I don't have." Time and he's like, no, you same thing. You sell the ads. We'll, you know, we'll we'll be, uh, do all this. We'll collect all this. I was like, yeah. so I was like, whatever. So we do that. And uh, Chris is running a giant company. Right. I don't have anything to do. I really did have the time. But I'm not a magazine guy. I don't want to yeah. produce a magazine. Right. Edit, collect, whatever. 
I mean, it's obviously Chris has no time and loses interest after like the second or third issue. And he's like, I don't really have time or want to do this anymore. And then I was like, well, I didn't even, I don't, I didn't even want to start a magazine. He's like, well, then just, then we'll just stop doing it. I was like, whatever. So I kept doing it. And then that's, then the Schwinn thing ended. And then I ended up doing faction as my job full time. I was like, how, and that's why that was the hardest. Like, how did this even happen? Right. That, right. that was the worst time of my experience in BMX. I was like, what is, what the, what's going on? I'm dumping all this money. It's fucking an insane amount of work and dealing with, you got to deal with 50 people instead of four people. I was like, oh, it was awful. And then it went another five plus years, right? Yeah. It took, it took 22 issues to run it into the ground. Fuck, I was trying as hard as I could. <laughs> I was trying to it fucking sounds like kill. Schwindel all yeah, over again. I was trying to I'm trying kill to... this fucker off, and we somehow made it 22 issues. But I, by the end, by the last issue, it was it was printed yeah. cheaply. It was printed on newsprint. I called a guy at Punk Plan. I was like, "Where do you get your magazine printed? How much does it cost?" I was like, "Oh my god! Right. If we would have done that from day one, it wouldn't have been a nightmare." It's those massive print bills for glossy magazine to be on the newsstand. Our magazine was a pile of shit. Right. It didn't need to be color. It didn't yeah. need to be anything but newsprint. You weren't buying it for the quality. So right. having it on better paper and our scans were shit. And like we were spending money to produce a high quality magazine with right. shit material. So it turned out shit anyways. Yeah. If I would have figured out that from issue 10, it wouldn't have been such a nightmare. Right. It would have been a lot right. easier. Oh, that's amazing. It is amazing. I, you're, you're the only guy I know that's tried to People leave jobs Bring it back. Bring it back. Times. It was terrible. Like I look back and I'm like, oh, some of the articles are just so embarrassing. I'm like, ooh, why am I writing that? Just uh -huh. feel embarrassed. And right. like when people are like bring back faction, even if I was a magazine guy, I'm 47 years old. Yeah. I am so disconnected to like what bring back faction. I don't even know what it would be. Like, I mean, I'm still like, so obviously follow. I have so many friends in BMX, sure. but the, my BMX stuff is that I follow is a weird and specific. Mm -hmm. Like, there was some kid riding the jumps on one of those weird nowhere tail whip frames. They're real yes, low on that yes, bike. Yes. And yeah. I was sitting there, I was like, "Well, that is a weird frame." I was sitting there with Tony and, and Ben Ward. I'm like, uh -huh. "Well, that frame is so crazy. Like, it looks like a flatland frame." And then I was like, "Oh shit, that's a nowhere frame." And Ben Ward's like, "How do you know what a nowhere frame is?" Like. Midwest, and he's like, yes. "That's cool. You still kind of follow." It's like, yeah. "Yeah, but I I only follow shit like nowhere, right, right? Like normal shit. I have no idea what's going on. I follow some weird racers, weird companies, and then right. like a lot of friends from years. Sure. So my yeah, BMX perspective would would not make a good magazine. <laughs> like, we well, know what it is. I, I, my opinion, it's nostalgia is, thing. It's exactly. And, and it was a go, lot. It filled a niche. It definitely filled a niche that other magazines weren't touching. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and we, we always, outside of the printing being shitty and our scans being shitty and the photos being shitty, quality, our graphic, we always had really badass graphic design. Yeah. And even dudes, like, I've had conversations with like guys like Jim Bauer and like on down the line. Like, it's like, yeah, the scans are shitty, the photos are shitty, the paper is shitty, it right. looks shitty, but they're like, the layout and design is is really good yeah like so art like guys from that perspective even though like if you're a kid and you're looking like this is really the quality is a shit like people are like we always had a really good graphic designer yeah perfect which was expensive i always spent a lot of money there up until the last year uh i had jay marriott on retainer for like 15 or two thousand dollars a month and there'd be four months we, we, we didn't make a magazine 
where it would cost me like five or six thousand dollars and we weren't producing anything was it quarter- that's what's stressful and i don't want to yeah. faction again i want to forget about it was it quarterly because i'm i'm, I'm trying was, to add it was, up the it, months in there, my head. there were sometimes it was quarterly sometimes it was bi-monthly no and, and usually it came out every well 22 issues in six years what's that or seven years. Well, it's got to be something around four issues, right? It's like three, three and a half issues. Three and a half, four. And some yeah. of them you could probably consider about a half issue. Right. Half-assed right, so and half-half-assed. <laughs> so the other half of that question was best road, road, road Fools oh, gotcha. 1 story. Oh, my God. I honestly, I don't even remember Road Fools 1. We'll skip uh, it. Don't worry. We, we, got, I can, we got lots I can, of I can think of something. Uh, like, oh, my God. Here, this will come back to you. Because really, I mean, I can't. I honestly, off the top, we did, we did, we did some pretty. I mean, I'm assuming he wants like weird behind the scenes. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I would think and so. And we did do a lot of kooky stuff, but nothing, nothing, you know, pops out. I think Robbie was on that trip, right, Morales? Oh yeah. Oh there, yeah. Was, so I mean, it was kook central. Oh yeah, and it was it was idiot morons that did, like doing dumb shit. Right. But I, you know, Sandy. Joe, Taj, Robbie, little crazy little Derek Devil was on the trip. Obviously, yeah. Jimmy and Jimmy's a fucking filthy nut job. You know, it was. <laughs> I can't believe nothing is popping into my head because it was it was definitely weird shit going on. But obviously, the trip literally the what obviously will always pop out first is the church gap because that. I mean, the whole time we were on the trip was to get to that to get to the church yes. gap, and he did the church gap, and the trip ended. There you go. I mean, right there in itself explains it you know yeah. I think alright so Chris Hancock who you met when you worked at FBM I'm sure because he's from yep. up at uh, Binghamton way he wants to know tell a story or two about a story or two about living in Binghamton and Ryan Hoey says why would you ever live there that's more of a statement but the, the why would you ever live in Binghamton uh, when in in you think they can hear me over the monster yeah, truck? Yeah, we're good. Are you sure? Oh, that yeah. dude is ripping. Yeah, I can't believe he didn't get stuck. Oh my god, it's great. Wow, it's still early, right? It's gonna get, it's gonna get know. crazy. Yeah. Uh, what, what the hell was the question? It, the question was tell a story oh, or two being, about living so in Binghamton. So I ended up Binghamton because when when you work in BMX, that there are almost their choices are almost nil. So when something opens up that's what we were talking about earlier it's it it's kind of insane that i work for snm schwinn right fbm sparkies and all like when they were looking for somebody and they when they were looking for somebody that i was actually qualified for the job is is just timing is bad just dumb luck yeah so i mean i ended that's how i ended up in in binghamton i wouldn't i wouldn't choose <laughs> i would choose I wouldn't have called FBM and been like, "Hey, sure. Steve, do you need anybody with my skill set?" I've you always know, loved I love, Binghamton. You know, uh, you know, and then like, I sure as hell wouldn't want to live in Binghamton. Uh, well, you know, otherwise, but I, I you know, I, 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 working at FBM was great. It was so fucking batshit crazy and nuts. The, 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 the adversity that we had to overcome daily, weekly, monthly, annually was, oh my god, I can't believe we pulled off complete, I well, was able to pull off complete bikes out of that the, scenario. We, we had, it, was, it was only like five of us, but we all worked together really well. Right. I mean, I obviously didn't do all that shit myself, like it was right. definitely a, a team effort. I was the one spearheading it and project sure. manager and flying to Taiwan, but it was, 
right. pieces of all of us for sure. Yeah. All right, let's jump to some funny ones, and then we'll get to a little more. Uh, a couple. Oh, of and history. a crazy Binghamton story. Oh, go ahead. Oh my God, uh, the I'll go with something that's relevant. The frame names, the Howler. Man, we did so many. We did. Crandall likes to stick with like real simple stuff. Right. Two or three frames, and that's the two or three frames you do, right. and you just do them, and they kind of evolve. Names and graphics evolve, and then we're same with T-shirts too. When I got there, I was like. At the peak, we probably had 15, 20 shirts in the Dan's catalog that I would call Ernesto. What do you want to reorder? These. All right. Eight of those. Down for eight more. Sure, we'll keep the same amount. And so we just, I mean, we were just right. The three years I was there, we probably did 60 t-shirt designs and tons of frames. And I just, we like, whatever. That just kept me busy, you know, just with projects and, you know. Whatever. So the Howler frame was one of them, and uh, I don't even remember what the purpose of that frame. I don't know if it was a trail frame or whatever. Right. Uh, so we came up with the name Howler, and it was this chick who was this crazy drugged out girl. I mean, she was always fucked up. Yeah. And she would always end. Always that guy was catching air in oh his God, personal fucking Toyota. Um, so. And I guess she would run drugs across the Canadian border. I mean, I didn't know if this lady was 30 or 50 years old. Right. So, and she would always, there was always live bands at the at the Belmar. Yeah. And she would always howl. Oh! And dance around and get on her knees. So, so we called her the Howler. Yeah. So then when we needed a frame name, we're like, Howler's kind of cool. And then, uh, so we came with the Howler. In the first Howler graphics, uh, right. Ralph, Ralph Awesome. Yeah. Uh, did those, and Ralph was when I, uh, Ralph helped me design all the cast logos and all that stuff. And then yeah. before that cast, when I was the SM brand manager in Austin, Ralph was my graphic design. Chris was paying Ralph out of Philly, and okay. when I set that up, uh, I was like, "Yeah, this dude Ralph, awesome. He'll be my go-to graphic designer. Right. You know, can you pay him five hundred bucks a month just for a retainer? He does a lot of other work, but he'll have plenty of time to do your work." So, yeah. And so I was like, "All right, cool setup." I was like, "Yeah, just." Send the check out. Uh, I emailed him. You know, here's Ralph. You know, Ralph sure. Stallenwerk. He's like, who's Ralph Stallenwerk? Oh, that's Ralph Awesome. His real yeah. name's Ralph Stallenwerk. So, anyway, so uh, Ralph's been my go-to guy for 15 uh-huh. years. So, anyway, so Ralph did the, the Howler stickers, which were SM stickers. They were black bike stickers. We did a a bunch of like five or six comp for black bike stickers that Chris hated all of them because right. I don't like any of these. Right. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So there were repurposed black bike stickers oh, no for way. the Howler, uh, the original one. So just funny, funny shit like that. So that the Howler uh, was named after that that crazy broad. Then the Man Eater, yeah, was named after. Okay. There was this dude in the first first built first beam to building in below ECT. Uh, there was a chop shop down there, and one of the guys that worked at the chop shop uh, had a bunch of shit of his, like, not a bunch, it seemed like all of his shit down there stored uh-huh. in a, there's, he, they, the chop shop just showed up one day and they were gone, right. and this guy's shit was there for months, so we started digging through his shit, uh-huh. and there was a, a, a velvet Panther blacklight poster that we put up in the office, and John Lee loves Hall of Notes. So 
Hollow Notes constantly playing in Maneater. I did not know So that. Maneater obviously comes on a lot. I'm like, holy shit. I was like, Maneater, the Hollow Notes Maneater tour was my first concert in like 82 or 83 at the Orlando High Life Fronton. Man. So John's like, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah. And here's it's even crazier, John. The Maneater video had a panther in it, a black panther just wandering around for no reason, you know, like, made no sense, so I explained to him, so John Lee, like, brings up on YouTube, he's like, this is crazy, so we're like, dude, that would be a sick name for a frame, the man-eater, and we use the panther as graphics, so that's where this, the name, the man-eater name and graphics came from, and the guy's name was The Count, because we found a, a love letter that, that is, he wrote to his chick, and he signed it, The Count. Oh, this is good stuff. So the Count's poster, Blacklight poster, morphed into the, in Daryl Hall and John Oates' Maneater Panther video, morphed into the Maneater FBM frame. So where did Guillotine fit in? Guillotine was just, that was that was never an aftermarket frame. That was a model in the complete. Sure. So when I got there, the first thing I did when I got there was figure out a platform, price point platform, names, colorways, themes. So I think it was five models. Um, and the theme I went with was medieval. Right. Uh, so it was like, you know, kind of barbarian games, mm-hmm. guillotine, marauder, uh, whatever. Oh, there were a few in the Even. series. Yeah, yeah. And all the graphics, a guy by the name of Guav, which is a, a friend of Crandall's from way back when. He's an 80s uh, freestyle guy and he's in hardcore music but he's graphic designer but his his BMX interest stopped in the late 80s that's what he don't you know like he doesn't, he doesn't like anything after that's his era right the mid eight, mid late 80s freestyle bikes but anyways he was a graphic designer down in the city so he Crandall's like I was like I, I was like this is a big project Crandall so Crandall's like I, I want to do the graphics and then I was like showed him how big it was I was like so like, you want to do it he's like that's that's fucking crazy yeah so he's like this dude Guav can do it so Crandall picked picked the, the dude he liked he, he's like I love Guav's graphics and I was like well here's the thing do you, are you into this this uh, you know bar- barbarian th- medieval sure. thing here's the names and I didn't re- I didn't give Guav any any graphic direction me and Crandall just sent him the names and whatever and he came up with just the graphics which were pretty sick the, the names and the platform were mildly corny and the graphics were pretty cool but still kind of you know like D-David Morn when he described skateboarding, you know, death, guts, bone, and gore, but they were cool enough that they weren't, weren't that corny, but that, that's how the names of all that shit came, uh, was we, we want, I wanted a consistent platform, and then the nice stuff, wait, we're going to expand on this, the nice stuff was, I was like, you know, after the first year, I was like, Steve, we, it would, might not be a bad idea to do some branded, low-end, you know, OEM stuff, you know, on this just brand it and then we can probably do some proprietary stuff like excess it did oem branded stuff and high-end aftermarket stuff and it worked oh and steve was like oh that's he's like i kind of always thought about doing a parts brand so steve came up with a nice name and i was like perfect so we developed that nice brand turned into like an actual brand for a few years like we were selling like decent amount of seats forks chain rings and grips and, and all that stuff so that that so the few years I was there, you know, we all, we like I said, it was wasn't just me. You know, right. Steve came up with the name, and he'd always want to do. He's like, yeah, he'd always want to do that anyway. So, right, we developed a, a legitimate in-house parts brand as well. That nice brand was was literally worked. Yeah, I mean, it's like people, 
like people that were buying Taiwanese nice forks that mm. rode FBM frames. Right. You know, when I got the first got there, there's definitely a lot of FBM really people are like, no. Well, this is fucking absolute bullshit. They got over it. Right. You know right. what I mean? All right, here's one from... Uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Here's a guy, uh, Stephen Hamilton. You know him, right? Yes. So he wants to know what happened with the date with the girl from Singled Out. I never went on a date with her. Uh, I don't remember what year that was, but they, you know, all the stupid bars, clubs or whatever. Yeah. They would have, you know, the people going around, signing people up. Hey, do you want to go... You know, sit, stand around, and be on single out. I was with Timmy Balls, and we're like, whatever. Yeah. So they gave us the information, call time, and when to be there. So we went there. It was fucking, it was pretty boring and lame, to be honest with you. Yeah. So we go there, and you just, I, don't, I think you're just standing on a stage. I mean, we were there for like hour, like six, seven hours yeah. to film two episodes. And we were just standing in the crowd the whole time. We never got picked. We weren't involved in the show. We were fucking bored. It sucked. Yeah. Everything about it sucked. Right. The catering sucked. The being there sucked. Yeah. That was awful. And just randomly, out of, I didn't win any. We were Timmy just standing there, and like one girl, she didn't win anything. And right. Jenny McCarthy, I guess how it went. She's like, oh, you're so cute. Yeah. We're going to give you a date. Pick somebody out of the crowd. And me and Timmy are, we have, we have checked out at this point. We are just standing there like, when is this going to end? Oh, my God. And the girl's like, eh. I pick him. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, is she pointing at me balls? He's like, yep. And I walk up there. I'm like, oh my god, this is real. And I just stood there. And uh, I was, I was working. I was traveling a bunch, yeah, yeah. doing the Schwinn thing. Right. And so I just did. We didn't have time. We never, she lived in like. It seemed like she, it would have been great because she seemed batshit crazy. Like yeah. she was living in her grandma's house in the Hollywood Hills, and it sounded like she's probably fucking. I mean, I wasn't a cocaine guy right. ever or at all. Right. But, I mean, if I would have been a cocaine guy and fucking... It sounded like it would have been a good time, but I just, I just never <laughs> linked up with her. I would have done it, but I just... And I, I'm, I'm, we, we did try for probably two or three months, and it, and it just never never worked out. What? So not that great of a story, but... That's all right. Here, you it's got actually to, boring you as fuck. You got to... Che- that's all right. Greg Dixon. Uh, he's from, from Midwest, Indiana, I'm pretty sure. Super nice guy. He wants to know what's the funniest thing you've instigated. I'm going with this half of it. What's the funniest thing you've instigated? Instigated? Uh, I don't know if this is even that funny or if I, I was, I was. Hey, what's up, guys? What's going what's up, on, man? Clint? I would say. Clint Reynolds in the house. What you eat? Little, uh, Are there eggs in that too? Uh, yeah, a little uh, bibimbap. My uh, my people's meal of choice. Little Vietnamese. Are you are you Vietnamese? Korean. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Clint Reynolds is half Korean. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I am mother's born and raised. Nice. That's nice. moved up in uh. Where did you buy that? Like, right there. They're serving. They're serving Korean food right behind you, and asked to a floor to next to a redneck mud bog. I know. I was so stoked. Asked to a multicultural. <laughs> I'll talk shit on Florida. Oh, man. Oh. All right, so now I'm going to ask you. Oh, wait, oh the instigate. Uh, the, when Tara wrote 
and no offense, but I haven't listened to any of your podcasts no, no, yet. But you did cool. one with Tara. I did. And he talked about Tara. the Nyquist thing. Right. We talked about this a little bit the other the day. The boxing that match. Was, so Tara wrote the letter and Deride talking shit on Ryan or whatever. Right, right. And then it turned into kind of a little bit of a beef. Yeah. And uh, I was like, the Christmas classic was coming up. And uh, yeah. so I hit up Ryan and Keith. I said, hey, man, I've got the resources to set up a boxing match. I was like, I'll pay for a boxing ring. At the Christmas Classic, I'll rent a room. Let's have a boxing match. I'll, let's do it up, man. I'll have an event, you know. And they're like, that. Tara was like, hell yeah. And Ryan's like, I don't know. Then he's like, he's like, all right, I'm down. So yeah. they were both pretty gung-ho. Right. And then I think on, I don't know about on Keith's side, but then we're, you know, working. Keith was a Golden Gloves boxer in Long Island when he was yeah. 11. Really? I don't know. Yeah. I, that's, that, that's the rumor Supposedly, that got started. Yeah. Oh, Tara's, Tara's a boxer. He's going to kick Nyquist's ass. And oh, I, right. on Nyquist's end, I think he, it dawned on him. He's like, I'm Brian Nyquist. Right. Why am I going to fly to the Christmas Classic to box some kid that's talking shit on me in a letter to magazine? <laughs> like, I might. He didn't say, like, I think I'm a little bit above that, but I think it just clicked in his head. But yeah. the hate mail, Keith was getting calls because of the amount of hate mail that they were getting at yeah. the magazine. So he he rolled with it. And, of course, to the end of the yeah. story is Superfly made a bunch of money off selling shirts that said either I hate Tara or I love Tara. You could buy either shirt. And then they, but both, both, of them, both of them basically backed out. Yeah, yeah, it, it ended up not happening. But yeah, you, you definitely pushed that one. I don't think one. either of them want to get beat up by each other. No, I don't think like, so. They're, they're both both little guys, but they're both buff. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. And they're obviously both tough. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah I'm jumping around a little. Here, I'm going to give you a Brian Irochi question. Can BMX realistically support a sustainable media outlet? Of course, John Lee's got nine numbered questions. Well, this is Brian Iroji's. Oh, oh, I thought yeah. I was looking at John yeah, Lee's. John, John, don't worry. We'll get to John Lee after. <laughs> this is, this is, okay, what's Brian's? This is Brian Iroji's. Uh, can BMX realistically support a sustainable media outlet? Like print? When he says media outlet, let's let's because say, obviously let, they're, let's the, say, the, their let's online say. ones are being supported, like Vital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be parasiting off their mountain bike and motocross, but I think he's well, he's, right. Is their platform is batshit crazy to me, but it's it's paying for itself. Brian's well in tune, so I would think he's talking media as in uh, print media. No, and you know that firsthand because you saw how much is it, it I don't even know if anybody's run. printing a magazine right now occasionally you get you get a day I mean but that's Clint, a coffee table Clint knows mag- that those, you get those, a, are, those are coffee table magazines correct though. it's not a it's not a quarterly like a periodical it's, not, it's like no. a yearly right no, I mean if that or it's just a whenever right uh, so no no okay. uh, periodical absolutely not yeah, so obviously we'll, barely, we'll barely figure that out. Media, I don't even I wouldn't even know what the hell's going on. Need, when I talk to company owners and riders like who Nobody even knows what it is or how it works or what it's what, right. how it functions anymore. Right. It's kind of just a free for all. Do what you can do. Yeah, some, we'll of, some of it works, some of it doesn't. I don't think anybody knows what does or doesn't. We'll you just to, do do whatever you want to do. Yeah. True. Uh, we'll go to a John Lee question. What do you think BMX as a whole is doing right? All disciplines included. Oh. I don't think there's ever anything right or wrong. I think it's always just it evolves and gravitates and float on however wherever it's at um completely obscure and uh, john lee will appreciate this 
I think Donnie Robinson in his beginner racing league, as far as if you want to talk about getting new riders involved in BMX, just in general, sure. his BMX racing league is, is really good. It's doing great. It's getting tons of kids uh-huh. actually on BMX bikes at the track, and it's you, you and it's a month long program or however long it is. You go out and you don't. It's you're not chasing points all year long. You sign right. up, and it's basically like four weekends of clinics in a row or during right. a week or whatever. It's like a camp. It it's is. like a month-long camp or a little training seminar, and yeah. they either stick with it or they don't, or they do that once a and year limit or it. whatever it is. It's yeah. not overcomplicated. It's not right. competitive, and I think that's he's doing a great thing with that. Yeah, he is, and they limit it, so it creates a demand by saying yeah. we only take 20 or 30 guys, with kids, whatever so it is. I would is. say, I mean, that's BMX racing pretty specific, but those kids will get into, maybe just get into BMX in general. And, hit the track sometimes at the skate park sometimes all right i'm going to ask you one that's a little pointed but this is john lee's question worst bmx rider on one of your teams and best bmx rider on one of your teams and why like worst acting he didn't specify did he no because he's leaving this to you to screw up completely and screw yourself over on repeat the first one (laughs) just worst and best bmx rider on one of your teams I actually, I just had this conversation with Butler at the 30 year. And, so it was uh, Butler? No, oh, oh, by far. No, oh, by, oh, by far. Oh, I'm not kidding. We, oh, no. We, we had a call. So I was Butler like, was the worst. And he, oh, he agrees. He's like, well, oh, he was awful. He, so the Butler thing comes about, I find it hard to believe. Could he be I, the best I find the worst? it hard to believe that I was working in the SM building at the Schwinn office when, I, when Butler tries to switch over. I had to be somewhere else. So, anyways, I was I was in I was in Southern California at one of the houses. I don't even remember what the hell those houses are called. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So many different ones, but anyways, the the one that was catty corner from the Mental Jimmy's house. Anyway, so Butler they had a pool table. They actually had the Mental Jimmy's pool table in their house when we got rid of it. So anyways, I'm shooting pool with Butler, and he's sort of complaining about S and M and this that and the uh-huh. other. And uh, he brought it up. He said. I might be interested in riding for Schwinn. Uh, in my head, I'm like, oh, that sounds like an atrocious idea. And I was right. like, ah. Oh. We were, and I was like, but if timing for him, we were developing an NBA halftime show. So we needed somebody who did not crash and right. who was butter smooth right. and dialed. I was like, damn. I was like, that describes Butler. But we, on... The other 50%, we need somebody very responsible, somebody that would take direction from Pova and Jay Miron, yeah. somebody that would would be willing to wake up early, set up ramps, be on a schedule, be on time. That couldn't be farther. It was it was my fault for putting him in this situation and his fault for agreeing to it. So anyways, oh so it, it happened, yeah. turns out. So, But anyways, I was like, all right, man, we'll pay you a thousand bucks a month. Right. Uh, the tra- Unlimited travel. You can go anywhere in the world. You don't have to... If you want to go to a contest, go to a contest. I don't care. We got BF and Joey. Right. Whatever you want to do. Um, yeah. But you got to do a little bit, and you have to do the NBA shows, obviously. Right. Um, and it's good contingency, good travel, food, money, whatever. Right. So Chris is like, I'll pay you that. He's like, I can't do the travel and all the food money and all the contingency. So Chris kind of offered him mm-hmm. his version of the same deal. Right. Butler's like, nah. So Butler did it. Uh, and he was like, good luck. He's like, I can't even get a photo a month out of that kid. And I was like, I know. I know what I'm getting into. I mean, Chris wasn't mad at me. He's like, whatever. Right. Um, 
So, oh, Butler was a disaster. So, who, who was the best? So, so, so oh, let me sorry. tell you go why, ahead, why Butler is a fucking disaster. So, his first contest, ABA Grand, shows up, gets third. Oh, man. Fuck yeah, this is working. Right. Goes to the Christmas Classic. There's only, contest is only one day. Right. But on a Saturday, but we all, if you want to get there early, yeah, man, it's fun. I love Christmas. That's sure. crazy. So, he flew in on a Thursday with everybody else. Right. He just proceeds to get shit hammered mm-hmm. from Thursday afternoon until Saturday morning. Right. I mean, I didn't even see him the whole time, but I, would, I wouldn't even, I, whatever. Right. He didn't have to show up until Saturday. But he showed up Saturday morning. I'm walking. I'm judging. It's early in the morning. I'm all getting ready. I see Butler. I haven't seen Butler since, I, since the airport. He's 15 feet ahead of me. Yo, Sean. And he's actually he- in a jersey, headed towards the contest. Yo, Sean. He turns around. I'm like, ooh. He has black marker. All, all like He has circled his eyes with black marker. He has lightning bolts and weird shit all over his face. I'm like, whoa. I was like, hey, man. You got some shit on your face. You want to go in the bathroom? I'll help you get off. He's like, no. He's like, I put it there on purpose. I was like, yeah? Why? He was like, all oh, the BMX kids. You know the Christmas classic in that hotel. Oh yeah, fucking right. Free for all. Right. So I guess there were some Columbus local, like Marilyn Manson kids, that all the BMX kids were trying to be just harassing. You know, just harassing him. So Butler took their side. He's like, "That's bullshit, man." So basically, he's, he'd been hanging out with these Marilyn Manson Columbus kids, just getting shit hammered for forty-eight hours. And they drew, I don't know, you know, they were drawing makeup, but it was fucking eyeliner. I thought it was Sharpie. I guess it was eyeliner. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, all right, man. And he was just really agitated. And just yeah. I was like, all right, dude. I was like, you heading over there? He's like, yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll see you over there, man. I'm judging. You need, I was like, you need anything? You need food, water? No. <laughs> all right. All right, dude. So I head over there. And Joey was her. Brian was her. So... Butler was our only guy in the contest. Really? So I'm up on the tower, button deck, comes over and he said, hey, Larry, I don't remember the guy's name, the guy produced all those DK dirt circuits and yeah. the road to glory. He same guy that produced all those. So hey man, Butler's first dirt circuit on Schwinn, we want to do an interview with you. you know, Larry wants to do an interview with him, but he's got some shit all over his face. This button deck telling me, and I'm like, and he's like, he said, you know, we really want to interview him, do like a legitimate interview with him, yeah. blah, blah, and kind of focus on him for the contest. But we got, he, we can't do that shit on his face. Right. He's like, could you ask him to wipe it off? I said, nope. Right. I said, I saw him about 45 minutes ago when I was walking in. I hadn't seen him since the airport. Right. And I have a feeling if I walk over there and ask him to wipe that shit off, he's going to stab me in the neck with a pencil. <laughs> I was like, you can ask him, but I'm not going to. And Bud it's like, well, there is somebody launching a Subaru Forester, a Subaru Forester, <laughs> three, four feet in the air on giant dirt mounds. <laughs> this is out of control. Um, so anyway, so Butler, that was just one. That was the first, and I'm like, oh man, and yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't even make it through the jumps. Right. So it was the first time a Schwinn rider in the right. entire history of DK Dirt Circuit didn't qualify for the finals. So I'm like. I mean, that whatever. It's, that's right. not the end of the world, but right. it was a sign. So then the next event, uh, we did, we, we actually flew everyone into Colorado. We got the, we got the half t- halftime ramps built. 
so we rented some big J setup and we rented some big building with the box with the box jump exact space you have to go in a basketball court get speed slow down Jay had choreographed it all mapped it all out yeah so we fly it was gonna be J uh, Ferris was doing the flatland Butler Jay Butler maybe Kimler so anyways we fly everyone in and I'd already told these guys like man I'd already told Jeff Shea for that guy our, the, our uh-huh. boss I said he's like I told him about the butler thing and he's like and I already told him I said this this is gamble blah blah and they're like we love that guy we love this they loved it when people made my life miserable or they were just batshit crazy uh-huh. so I was like we fucking love I was like he didn't even qualify I was like he couldn't even make it through the jumps I was like he had shit all over his face and they're like we fucking love this guy they didn't even care that he couldn't do an interview they're like he sounds great so anyways so he was in a hotel room affair so we we get to Colorado we go there we see the fucking ramp set up they're jumping it and stuff we go back to the hotel we didn't ride it for very long go back to the hotel Butler and Ferris are sharing a room they've never met Butler's never met this guy he proceeds to get shit hammered and starts harassing Ferris, like trying to fight him. What's your problem, man? And just and Ferris is, you know, Butler's a little stocky guy and strong as hell. Well, Ferris is a skinny, skinny guy that's strong as hell. You know what I mean? So Ferris, you know, Ferris is a foot taller than me. He's like, just you know, trying to put his foot on his forehead and like, what is? And he's Ferris is like, what is this guy doing? What is happening? I'm like, I can't control him. So he just, he's just trying to fight and just causing trouble and finally he passed out. Right. Then they're like, oh my god, this dude's nuts. But he did the shows perfect. Yeah. Begrudgingly. Right. He, uh, so he did right. the shows begrudgingly. The yeah. next event. Was Texas? He's already, already like he, he didn't want to ride for Schwinn. He was just having other mental issues. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not to make a lie to that, because sure. he he went through. I mean, he's got his shit together now, but he had a, right. it was a long like he had uh, drinking issues or just what right. what am I doing? What the hell's going on? Right. Issues. Right. So, anyways, so it should like I said, it was a gamble. It was a bad gamble. Like he shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have had him do it. Yeah. But anyway, so we go to Texas. Is the next event after the NBA halftime show. Debacle. I mean, to the point, like, it's such a debacle that it was like, well, he can't do these shows. And the freestyle guys were so pissed because they're like, he, what does he have to do? We're like, nothing. So, and they're like, now that he's not doing NBA shows, he don't have to do anything? No. They're like, what? So the, the freestyle guys were always mad at my dirt jumping guys because they didn't really have to do anything. Those guys worked. Right. They busted their ass off. And need the dirt jump guys, if they only did DK dirt, five DK dirt circuits here, Done. They're literally that Big, would be enough. Good, <laughs> like they were doing, obviously doing a lot more. But sure. if Butler did all did five contests a year, it was worth well, it was worth it. I mean that's the, the bare minimum, mind you. But anyways, wow. so they're like, well, he's out of the NBA shows. Never even did one. We just did a demo at the at the at the campus on Colorado. So he did one demo. Was like he's out of that. So oh. then we're like the next dirt gym contest in Texas. He was by this time. It's like he refused to be picked up from the airport he refused to hang out with us he refused to eat dinner with us and he started like and all then bar spinner and chulo and all the shl guys like it's corporate oppression you know they turned into corporate oppression these guys suck and it's corporate i'm like dude you know like are you crazy you saw the jersey before you got on the team you know like you see the trailers you already know what's going on like and they love you they love what you're doing they love the the Lunacy and the yeah, they've yeah, got yeah. dudes that don't do that, they've right. got that covered, right? They've got the professional clean got side, 
covered. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we go to Texas. He did, refused to hang out with us. Right. And I, it's like, hey, man, we're going to go eat at Chili's. You want to come? No. And that would turn into, they're trying to make me hang out. And it's like, dude, we're just, I'm bored. Do you want me to buy you dinner? Like, right. you just, you don't, it's all, an hour. It's free dinner. Right. So anyways, so he, he literally, it was, the contest started so early, it was like 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. he qualified first. Yeah. Hour or two between qualifying finals, Uh-oh. gets so annihilated, he can't even clear the first, first oh, set. No. So he has bombed that one. And then the X Games was the next one. So... <laughs> And this, I'm sorry, all, all, everybody in the office is like, I was like, he thinks we're, I'm like, fucking putting the thumb down on me. I just got all his friends convinced that we're, uh, you know, taking advantage of right, and this right. corporate. I'm like, oh my, these dudes are not, and they're loving it. They're like, this is fucking great. Oh my God. So, and they had, outside, not too many people met him at the Colorado thing, but my bosses did. And that, mm-hmm. like I said, they fucking loved him. So we go show up at the X Games, and then everybody meets Butler and like, fuck, we love this guy. Wow. So then he qualifies for the finals. <laughs> at the uh, X Games. Qualifies, and then they went in a, that night uh, after qualifying or whatever, whatever happened, they go back. To, he wouldn't hang out with us with anybody. Went to, not, never hotels, nothing like that. I don't know where they stayed, but they had some big bonfire. So Chulo and Barspin and all those guys had had him at such, so high, especially at the X Games when all the, the, the corporate bigwigs are there who don't give a shit what he does. Right. They want him to be like... They're not going to tell him be nuts or whatever, but right. they love it. So he, they throw his bike in the fire and just beat the shit out of it. He tells me the next day that it got stolen off the bike rack. So he rode, he rode Freddie Chulo's Gary Fisher in the finals, which, whatever. I thought his bike got stolen. Right. And the, the Schwinn guys, they're like, they're like, this is the punkest guy ever. <laughs> they're like, he is riding a Gary Fisher bike in the X Games finals. And I'm like, that ain't all of it. I was like, look where he keeps ducking off to. They're like, look. He was just like, I think it was Jägermeister. He was yeah. a pounding Jägermeister. He could have easily won. Oh like, if he, he could have easily won, I don't need, I think he got 10th. I think there's 10 people in the finals. I think, because he was fucking shit hammered on Jäger. And I was like, <sighs> I looked at my boss and the mountain bike team manager and I said, I can't deal with this anymore. And they're like, you're a pussy. Come on. I was like, I can't. It is not worth it. So right after finals, I looked I said, Sean, this is a long ass story. I was like, Sean, yeah. this is this is not, I don't need this. Right. I don't, I don't know what your fucking problem is, but right. these guys don't give a fuck what you do. Right. You don't even know these guys. You've never met them. They've never called you. Yeah. They've never sent you a letter. They've never told you to do anything. Right. It's like, I don't know what your problem is with, with me. Like, why you want to make my life fucking hard, but... It ain't working. I was like, no hard feelings. We'll be friends. Whatever. So then I'll keep this going even longer. Do people listen to podcasts that are this long? Yeah, There's no do. fucking way. They, they can't listen after an hour. Oh, yes. Oh. That is his drive-in truck. He just ripped the right front off of that thing. Oh, my God. Holy shit. The daily driver. So, yes, yes, people do listen to podcasts this long. So you still have to get so, to the so, best writer. Don't so forget. that okay. So that ends. He immediately gets back on S and M. Yeah. And with the race, Chris, like you know, I'll pay you the thousand dollars. And it was back to, back to you got all you have to do, Butler, one photo a month. Yeah. That's it. Right. That's my only expectation. So then I felt bad that I fired him. So I was like, 
this is like within a week. So he gets on S and M, same money. I said, Butler, we'll do S. You, we'll do XS. Then you can do whatever the flying fuck you want. I was like, all you literally have to do is use the parts. You don't have to use stickers, nothing. It would be nice if you did. But you don't have to do anything. You don't have to talk about XS. Your expectations are literally nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Five hundred dollars a month. So I got him basically a raise. It, it, we were paying him SM was offering him a thousand we paid him a thousand I fire him and we, between me and Chris we end up paying him fifteen hundred dollars a month and he ended up not long after that Chris is like I can't Butler want just one photo he couldn't even do that he's like I can't do this anymore Butler so then that's when Butler ended up in KG but like I said he was going through crazy shit so yeah, yeah, yeah. longer story longer right. so I'm at the 30 year thing and the reason I was like we, I was like hey what's up man we started talking and uh, he was like what was my problem and he's like, was I that bad? And I was like, you don't really remember much. He's like, not really. I was like, here, this, this, and this. And he's like, why did I even ask you to ride for sure? And I was like, I don't know. And I was like, in all honesty, I was like, I was like, do you remember the Christmas classic? And he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, I kind of blocked that out of my head. He's like, why didn't I quit after that? And I was like, I don't know. He was like, but basically, he was just at like, out of his, like I said, not to make light of it because it sure. took him a long time sure. to get his shit together after that. But it basically. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he agrees. Like, oh my god, it was awful. Yeah, it was, it was terrible, terrible, right. terrible, terrible. Right. Well, I mean, he was terrible to me. He was, it was terrible, <laughs> terrible all over. But like I said, like literally a week later, we're friends with him. We're friends. I was like, dude, water on the bridge. I don't, I don't. Yeah, right. I just, I'll, right. I'll pay you again. Well, let's try again. See right. if that works. <laughs> so is it safe to say after going through that? Okay, that so the best, best rider would be BF. Maybe. I, I just, I'm trying to. Th- I just want to go through sure, the go whole list. I know because I mean, that would be the obvious one right off yeah, the top I mean, of going, my head. Going through a lot of guys. In uh, your mind. I would say yes because he was the catalyst for everything that came after. And I right. just I keep saying this, but I, I definitely hit on that in in the Dale Holmes mm-hmm. podcast because it was Brian got you know when he first got on that. Frame off a two hundred dollar Schwinn Pro qualifier complete, right? And he immediately started winning double A races on a mild steel frame. Mm-hmm. And so, within a year, he's going for the ABA number one. You know that that and that, like that was whoa. That really set the whole Schwinn program in motion. And the success of that was they were able to see and go, wow, this is working great. The racing is. Let's do the freestyle thing. Right. So I mean, so he's. He's the launching point for the whole program, which literally turned into, you know, millions of dollars a year spent, you know, fucking how many riders are on payroll just with freestyle three team. I mean, you're talking 30, 40, 50 people getting paid ranging from $500 a month to $10,000 a month for some dudes at the end. Right. And that was the cat. So I, I would say Brian, and he was good to deal with. Um, and I never had to really deal with anything with him. He was real self, self-contained. Mentally too, like right. I, I said, this, you know, I probably could have been a better, if I was a better coach with pole camp and Allen, like mentally with us, because I was pretty observant. But I, I just stayed out of their their hair. And with oddly enough, Brian, like uh, I would actually talk with racing about him, and it wasn't, you know, because he was it was, right. You know, if I talked about that stuff with Allen and Matt, it might mess up their head. Like they were more like 
Brian just didn't mentally, he was able to be real mellow about it and not let, have mind games or whatever most of the time. We dealt with so many pressure situations and, and, over and, his... And professionally, it was easy to deal with him. It yeah. was easy. It was like... Right. You know? Right. He wasn't a prima donna. He wasn't a prima donna in any sense of the word. Yeah, never, never come across His expectations are what, what, it, what I was going to provide for him were pretty low. It's like... Right, right. You know? Hey, and, and obviously he's... Make sure there's he, a budget there, and he can, him and Alan can do the rest. They're self-contained. Still sponsored today They didn't need, they didn't need a babysitter. A lot, most of those teams and dudes need, right. like, literal babysitters. I'm like, I am not your babysitter. But he's still that, that's why I would, have, I would have never been successful at any other company, because at big amateur teams and the pros, you had, they, you had to babysit. I'm like, dude, right. you're a professional BMX. Even though I'm the team manager, I'm like... Right. You know? Right. Get real. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucking... And that professionalism yeah. on his part is the reason he's still sponsored today, even yeah. though he's not even take, take it upon BMX is in that in that realm where you can you can take it upon yourself to be the professional and get shit done yourself. You don't need to be catered to. Sure. I mean, I didn't leave him. To, I mean, we've obviously provided him with right what right. they needed and made it easy. We weren't like, uh, you need some water. Right. Run to Publix yourself. Yeah. Right. You know, who cares if the mains in twenty yeah. minutes? You can make it back and forth. I'm not saying sure, that, but right. you know. What's the next question? Well, well, let's do this because we're we're. A We've little, got how little, long have we been talking? We're, we're over two hours, so let's do this. That's I'm awful. I'm just gonna shout. No, it's not awful. It's awesome. I'm gonna just gonna shout out a couple names of people that sent questions, but we're not gonna get into them because we covered a lot of it. So Josh Hayes, um, and actually uh, Evan Smedley, guy from Harrisburg, PA, and more John Lee questions. So. What we're going to do is we're going to finish on two questions. We're going to finish on John Lee's question of what's your, what's your proudest accomplishment of BMX. So you're going to have to put on your, get rid of your modest hat and just, just give us your proudest accomplishment in BMX. Proudest? Oh. Magoo's in the house. I would say men, since Magoo just walked up, you're, you're, mental. You could, you could say whatever you want, I Magoo. I, I, proudest wouldn't be the, the best word, but that was the first company that I ran by myself was Mental Jimmy's. Yeah. I did everything. Right. So that, 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 everything, everything went from there. Yeah. For sure. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, I did all, I mean, obviously Magoo had set it up and it was an existing company, but I took the reins and, and kept it rolling and, you know, made, sure. made continued to make it work. And I think probably grow a little bit from that. So I would say that because that was the first thing. Yeah. That's what got, which is the, funny. Because... That's what got the, for the, me being my own entrepreneur, that was, that was it. That was the block one. Right, right. And it went block, and I would say, you know, it literally blocked one because one of the things that, you know, paid the bills and, you know, made money was we ordered pegs. Mm-hmm. And they were called good cheap pegs. And I ordered like 2,000 pegs, whatever it was, from from Sherry Shoe, who's uh-huh. still, you know, Magoo's partner in Biltwell. This is right. 1992. Right. I was ordering stuff from parts from Sherry in Taiwan. Sure. In a. That turned into, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, that's the beginning yeah. of, of learning all that stuff. Which is pretty interesting because most people know you as, as the swing guy. So it's it's pretty cool to it hear It depends that. on your, I'm either UGP Florida guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For old guys, S&M guy, Mental Jimmy's guy. Oh, no, that's true. Schwinn guy. That's true. Faction guy. No FBM stuff. Because I was real. I mean, because Cran, right. like, I wasn't a figurehead at that. I was just. But on the I'm sur- sure there's a lot of people who don't even know I worked at FBM. 
on the surface, media-wise, I think a lot of people would associate you with Swin and S and M. We'll say. Yeah. So it's it just it cool literally depends. Like Daryl Naw and like that, the, they think I'm a, they mental Jimmys. Yeah. This is the first time they heard about me, and like and a lot of kids, you know, was after Schwinn, so it was Faction. Sure. So really, I mean, it's depends well, on your era, then, huh? Literally. Yeah. Right. From all those guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna let's finish it on this one from Susie Levin. And no, we're not gonna ask the porta potty <laughs> question. Uh, Susie's question was, it's a it's a broad one, but uh, what's next for you in the BMX world? And um, we know that the family business is what you're up to now. So um, answer that however you like. But as as we sit here. Uh, Maybe events. I mean, I'll never. I don't. I, there's. I can say with this with a hundred percent certainty, I will never work in BMX again. Uh, I guess like a really focused specific thing. And if people like that, people are like collateral was the last weird little thing I did. But when I left Sparky's to go work at you know my family's car dealership, I was supposed to start right away, and things got haywire, and I had like a year literally time to fill and I was I, I talked to Tom a lot and uh, he was like I was like man he's like how's the car thing I was like man I'm bored I don't have a whole lot of stuff to do right now um, a lot of free time I was like and I was like free time to the point of like I might be able to move to Austin for like six months or something and he's like and it did so collateral was kind of Tom's idea he's like you want to do a media website and I was at that point I was like yeah that act yeah, that sounds easier than a magazine. It was a hundred times easier than a magazine. So that's that'll collateral will be the last BMX. Me and Tom started a, I mean LLC. It was called Thick Grinds was our company. So I can hundred percent say that my last company I'm going out on was called Thick Grinds. And it was <laughs> Tom from Empire was my partner. Anyway, so I mean, we built a twenty thousand dollar website, and it was paid for. Like, I think we spent like a little bit out of each other, each of pockets, like to get it rolling and stuff. And I, I did that for like a year, and then when I was like, I had to go back and, and start working real. So we just, we just literally was like, all right, that was fun, filled the time. I got to hang out in Austin and work out. And so, so I worked out of, and I worked. I had an office in Empire. That office is fucking all over the place. So I worked out of Empire doing collateral for like a year. So that that's the last thing. So how, how long ago to was end that? it? Uh, oh, sheesh, that's been oh, five five years. So you've, that was five years ago. You're five six years, years clear ago. of the BMX industry. Five years, six years clear. But I was as we sit at Trey's Swamp Fest event. I could maybe see myself helping with events. Sure. I don't. I would never. I don't. Think I don't know why anybody would. I would never do like, oh, this is my event. But I, I definitely could see maybe getting a group of people together. Volunteer because uh, in, in Florida, because there's good, good. Florida's got a good BMX scene, and we're finding some pretty good venues where it's it's in, relatively in. I mean, this is a hundred acre venue that can handle seven thousand, you know, person event with a staff, right? Machines, facilities. So this is this is. I mean. It costs money to put this event on. Oh, sure. So I think I, if I worked with group people, I think we could do events with the intent of making money doing them. And I think it, like, 
the magazine thing goes back to, I never I didn't want to make money doing that so it's definitely going to fail you have, if you're not trying to if you're like oh I'm going to try to break even I just want to break even you're go, you're 100% going to fail if you got it and if you're like oh, I just want to maybe make a little bit of money you're probably going to fail you got to be like I'm going to try to actually make make it cool but you you have to have to try to it has to be one of your main goals if, it, if you really want it to be successful in any any sort of long term sure but I, maybe maybe events that that's my answer that's but, perfect that's perfect there's a 51 percent chance maybe probably nothing <laughs> but also with, yeah who, who knows who knows i like it i like it do you want to uh, do you want to thank anyone before we close out nope perfect that's just the way it should be <laughs> If anything, you should be thanking yourself because you've been a hard worker and you've been definitely a guy in the sport that I think a lot of people respect. So uh, I appreciate you doing this. It's been awesome. a good time. I was outside too. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John Paul. All right. And that was highly entertaining <laughs> having having the spectating event that we had during this whole uh, interview. Yeah, like I got some of those answers. I was like, what am I even talking about? Oh, well, it was a little distracting watching what was going on with the Subaru Forester launching it and uh having clint reynolds watching that would when his eyes are open like yeah, that then <laughs> yeah then that's something i'm down again all right oh, man.